Sometimes it can feel like food has an emotional control over you. Well, it's time to show your food who's boss with Noom. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Before we get started with Bench with Bubba, episode 237, Bubba and the Batflip 22nd Base Preview Edition. I want to remind you all, give a rating and review on iTunes. Send a picture to it, DM, Twitter, somewhere. If you want to enter the Benched with Bubba listener leagues, they're going to be starting up. Uh, we're going to do 15 teamers probably, going to go roto formats. If we get uh, more than 15, we'll just keep them coming. If you've already given a rate and review and you want to be in the league, just send me your old rate and review. We'll make it happen. But uh, come join us over there, rate and review on iTunes. We'd much appreciate it. Also, go check out the Fantasy Black Book. Awesome stuff. Great group of guys. Don't want to start your uh, your draft season without it. Joe Pisapia does it again with a great group of guys like myself, the Welsh, Ariel Cohen, Chris Meany, uh, Nate Dawkin. I'm going to miss some. Eric Cross, um, Matt Modica, Dolph Lundgren himself, that's what I call good old Alex Chamberlain, and so many more. I apologize for those that I missed, but awesome stuff over there. So go check it out on Amazon, on iTunes, all the good stuff, Fantasy Black Book. The 2020 edition, the 10th edition of the Fantasy Baseball Black Book. So go check all that out. But for now, Bench with Bubba, episode 237, Bubba and the Bat Flip 20 Fantasy Baseball Second Base Preview. Catch you all later. Back everybody to another episode of Bubba and the Bat Flip, episode twenty. Going to preview your fantasy baseball second base position tonight with a boatload of your listener questions at the end. So stay tuned for all of it. It's going to be an absolute blast. I'm on Twitter at BD Entrick and my co-host, the Bat Flip portion of the podcast on Twitter at Bat Flip Crazy. Toby, how are we doing, man? We are doing uh, fantastic, Bubba. I wonder if if boatload actually has like a concrete definition of, of the number of questions that we've gotten. Um, yeah, that's a good, but, it's a good question. Uh, I know. I mean, maybe it's like back in the day, a boatload was considered like, you know, X amount, but uh, we got a lot of them. I'm doing great. Um, just can't tell you. I just uh, enjoy our podcasts uh, together and the listener engagement and, and having these fantastic questions come in. It just... Uh, Every Monday night is uh, is a lot of fun. So thank you for that. Yeah, I agree. Like uh, the questions we're getting for positions right now, I can't wait until like three, four, five weeks into the season. The questions we're gonna get, like it's gonna be, our, our, we might not have to make an outline anymore. It's gonna be beautiful. Like those do the show for us. Um, it'll it'll be a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to it. The listeners have been absolutely amazing. So um, yeah, it's gonna be a blast. 
I have to do one shameless plug, and if you have any, you're welcome to do them as well. Okay. But uh, since I simulcast, since you do it on your feed, I do it on, on the Bench with Bubba feed. I, I say it at the beginning before my music starts, but for people that fast forward it, I want to bring it up to your attention. If you give a rating and review, or if you have given a rating and review, show me proof if you want to be in the Bench with Bubba listener leagues. So that is up for anybody that wants it, but um, I, got a, I got a list forming, and if we have a lot, of, we'll do multiple leagues. I don't care, but uh, just throwing that out there for the masses that might fast forward to the front, which I don't blame you because I've done a lot of shows as well. So um, that's just something I want to put out there. But let's do second base, Toby. Um, we'll start Bubba, with, I, yeah. I will say, uh, as somebody who has given your podcast a five-star rating before we even had the co-hosting things, people should absolutely be subscribing because unlike me, who only does this podcast pretty much every single week, you're bringing like, two, three, four podcasts a week, and you've had some fantastic guests. And Thank I think you. you oftentimes, you were one of the first people that gave me a chance to be on a podcast, um, I think a couple years ago. And you continue to just give people uh, who may not have as much of a platform an opportunity to kind of share their expertise and share their wisdom and make the fantasy community a better place. So definitely subscribe to Bench with Bubba, even if you're listening on my feed. Um, and definitely listen to Bubba's podcast throughout the week. Give him that five-star rating and review so that he can beat you in the listener. <laughs> well, thank you, Toby. The kind words are great. And uh, I'm glad we. I'm glad I had you on the show a long time ago because now we get to do this every Monday night. Um, so it, it's going to be a lot of fun as the season goes on. But I want to fill those listener leagues up, so come do that. But uh, let's do second base like we usually do. We do the top 10 NFBC. We're going to start from uh, January 1st now, since it's almost three weeks as of recording. Draft Champions League, but um, I added, as Toby, you probably saw on the format, I added two more. So technically, it's twelve because two of the top ten we talked about last week. So uh, we could like quick highlight those guys if we want. But really, I'm, I have confidence that most listeners listened last week and they already know the answers to those ones. So um, let's kick it off. Number one, NFPC at the position. He comes buzzing in at the number one ranking, Jose Altuve. I loved your tweet today, and some people cut on to it. Hey. Um, what, do you, what do you got on Altuve? Are you concerned at all with Altuve? You know, I'm not super concerned um, about – I mean, I'm, I'm definitely not concerned about Bregman. I think Bregman, when you look at what he's done both home and away, like he is actually a much better performer – um away from home and so some of the flack that he's getting i mean the buzzer like right we're finding out more and more like you know yes like he did the no no don't tear my shirt away other people posted the picture about how they tore off his shirt like you know after one celebration before and so that's what he was reacting to the whole like niece of beltran thing is kind of fake and so who knows exactly what they were doing but i'm not super concerned like i'm not docking them and i'm definitely hoping that some of them drop. I know that I saw like Bregman went 17 um, in a, in an NFBC draft, uh, I think either today or yesterday. So that was kind of interesting uh, for Altuve. I'm not really worried um, either. He does perform uh, a little bit better at home. A lot of that has to do with the power though, because he takes advantage mm -hmm. of the Crawford boxes. When you take a look at uh, the steamer projection, 296 batting average, hundred runs, 24 home runs, 93 RBI, 12 stolen bases. It's a $22, $23 uh, steamer projection right there. He's got an ADP of 32, uh, which is about a $22 value. So he's about even. The one little bit of um, uh, 
uh, umbrage, I guess I would say, I don't know if umbrage is the right word, but I'm going to take some umbrage, um, <laughs> is uh, with the stolen bases. Uh, Steamer has him for 12. And I don't think that's totally, um, you know, out of the realm of possibility. But I think with the Astros, with that lineup they have at the top, stealing bases is not as important. And with some of the leg issues he's had over the last couple seasons, I just don't see him pushing it that much. So 12 may be, uh, may be fine. You know, that six is certainly the kind of aberration, but like 32, 17, six, definitely don't see it headed in a positive direction. And that would definitely impact you know, his overall valuation. But I think given where he, you know, where he's going and the fact that he missed a bunch of games last year and still had a pretty, pretty strong performance. I think it was the second half where he was just like, um, he was just absolutely crushing it. Yeah. In the second half, he, he hit 325 with 21 home runs, 59 runs and 49 RBI, four stolen bases in 69 games. So he absolutely destroyed in the second half when he seemed to get healthy. So, um, you know, I think it's a, it's still a fairly safe profile. I'm not too worried and I'm, uh, I'm not docking him too much. I don't know if I'm picking him at his ADP just because who else is, is around at that point in time, but definitely if he, if he falls a little bit, I would be, how about you? What are you, what are your thoughts on, uh, on Jose? I agree with a ton of what you said, like with, without Tuve, you're, you're, pretty much locked into a pretty good batting average. That's what Altima is going to do regardless of the situation. His OBP is going to be very solid. The power, I don't see 31 again. I'm with you. I kind of I don't mind Steamer's 24. I'd say 20 to 24. But 100% with you on the stolen bases. A, we've seen just the Astros in general steal less. Now, maybe the new manager changes philosophy there. We don't know who that's going to be just yet. Um, but I, the, the injuries Altima's had, you have to imagine – the days of running wild are kind of behind him. You never know. So I, I like the hit tool that Altuve has. You got to think about where he's going in drafts right now. It means you have one of the top picks. You have Acuna, Trout, Yellick, or if you're Toby, you have Cole. One of the two situations there. But um, I'm all by myself yeah. with Cole over here. <laughs> well, in the, in the top three, I think most people are good with four. I don't know if there's as many that are like adamant like you are. Like I'm taking him in the top three. Um, I, I don't argue with you on that, but I think it's the consensus so far. Um, so in theory, you probably have one of the three outfielders if you're going to grab Altuve at that point in time. Now, do you take a pitcher with the, the, the second round pick and Altuve at third? Do you take two pitchers? It's hard to take Altuve at this point, like you said. At his current ADP, in theory, it's a good value from where, it's been, where he's been in years past. But the, the stolen base is coming down the way they are. The second base position, um, it's not the deepest of positions, but the more I've looked at it in the recent weeks, there's some interesting gambles, unlike other positions I don't mind taking later at the position that we'll talk about. So I like Altuve. If he continues to fall like the Bregman's been falling, I tried to get an answer from the guys over at NFPC on how like uh, Springer and Altuve, because Springer goes like about like eight picks or so after Altuve. I want to see how they they were falling as well. If we see that trend, say Altuve goes to the end of round three, that becomes a lot more interesting. So right now, probably not there. There's some other guys I like. But I do like the overall profile for Altuve. Just no going into it. 31 home runs. Unlike Bregman, like you said, whose hit tool is really good, and he super takes advantage of the short portion in left field. Altuve, I don't see getting 31, and the steals is going to definitely come down. But uh, still a very, very good ball, ball player. And say you take some gambles at certain times, his average, I don't see that faltering a ton. So I'm a big fan of that aspect with Altuve. 
Yeah. One one thing I'll mention is I think somebody had a question and was concerned a little bit about Altuve because of the the difference between his WOBA and his expected WOBA. Um, he had a 374 uh, WOBA and a 350 expected WOBA, 298 batting average, 282 expected average. He definitely had like a little bit of contact that he gave up, but he hit the ball harder as a result. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one thing I just ran a quick search on StatCast and on the road, the difference was only uh, 0.012. So 354 WOBA versus a 342 um, expected WOBA, which for a guy who has you know some speed still, is um you know is understandable where the massive gap was was at home with a 0.046 differential so 406 woba versus a 360 expected woba and i think a lot of that it has to do with the crawford boxes because i think he is one guy who definitely like he had 18 home runs on at home last year versus 13 on the road um so he's definitely somebody who, who pulls those home runs into crawford boxes so i think that helps explain that so that's not too much of a of a concern for me and you look at that Expo Bacon of 383. You can't really hate on that too much, now, can you? That's uh, pretty fun stuff there. And if you guys give me two more seconds, I'm opening up Max Freeze's uh, deserved barrel home runs, that kind of deal. And I thought Altuve was in this, but I could have. it could have been a different article by Max. But I know we talked about it on a past episode um, with the just between him and Dan Richards and their, their work on ballpark factors and pulled home runs and all that stuff. And then Alex Fast article. We know the Astros for sure, like you're saying, are, are big in that realm. And um, I know that these guys have done a lot of research showing that Crawford box. It's like 100% like what you're saying about the um, the Wobas and the ex-Wobas changing. So that, that's a good point there. In, in reality, some of these players, these stats are going to look a lot different just based on where they're playing. So a lot of these work people are doing on these ballpark factors are going to be tremendous in the years to come trying to break down and even using these X stats and advanced stats even more, it's going to be pretty cool. And what the, the example you just use it for home road with the Houston Astro alone uh, goes right into that kind of conversation. Okay. All right, let's go to the second, second baseman off the board. You can find him in the New York Yankees, second base shortstop eligible. He's going like 0.2 picks after Altuve. They're almost going identical. And the way the slides happen in Houston, I wouldn't be shocked if Glaber Torres jumps him I'll be honest, I have such a hard time wrapping my head around Glaber Torres. What do you think about him, Toby? Yeah, um his he's a he's steamer has him about like $17, $18 player. Projection is 272, 86 uh, runs, 34 home runs, 98 RBI, six stolen bases, uh, ADP of 29, which is about a 22 and a half, so 22, $23 pick. So losing $5 um on glaber um I, i'm you know i don't mind glaber it's just that the profile for me like he's not he has yet to really show elite batting average and he doesn't steal bases and so this early on in drafts like i would definitely draft altuve over him i think i'd also take um, albies over him as well just because you know at this point in the draft you know i'm really trying to build up my batting average and my stolen bases the home runs are nice, um, you know, for sure. And I think, you know, he is a guy who um, improved last year with his contact rate. Um, it was up uh, almost 4%, so like 3.5%. He was able to maintain his hard hit rate. Um, he obviously feasted on the Orioles, which is something that kind of everybody <laughs> recognizes. But at this point in time, I mean, he's what, like a 23-year-old? He just turned 23. 
He's got over a thousand plate appearances under his belt of above league average batting average. Um, very nice power, the K rate going down. Um, so, and he's going to be in the, in the middle of that Yankees lineup, which is just going to be an absolute, um, you know, slug fest. So I can definitely see him replicating what he did last year, um, which, you know, you're not going to get hurt by uh, getting that, um, you know, this year, he could even take a step forward and, 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 and get at this value. But for me, as I think about these early picks, like what I'm really looking for is trying to build a foundation of batting average and stolen bases without losing out on the other categories or, or holding steady on the other categories. So I'm not in, in particular going to be targeting him, but I understand why people are so excited about the profile. He also plays for the Yankees. So Yes, he gets the Yankees tax, that's for sure. Um, you you kind of you said it with, with the home run in there, like that's – for me, that's almost what you're drafting him for is the power because I know he's gotten 271, 278 the last two years, but I, I just don't I don't see it continuing. Look at his X bat batting average, and you know he hit 278 with a 296 BABIP. That's pretty darn impressive. Like I don't know how he pulled that one off when you have a hard hit rate in the 33rd percentile, an exit velocity in the 49th percentile. He's I'm not saying he's taking advantage of the bouncy ball. He had 24 home runs the previous year. But he's doing pretty darn good with the bouncy ball. That's I'm going to say that much. It is it is impressive seeing his improved K rate and, and the contact rate, like you're saying. There's just something that's not there with uh, Glaber Torres for me. And, you know, if you get the average and the homers, that's great and all. The runs in RBIs, plays for the Yankees. He's not stealing for you at all. I'm just not tra- chasing that profile right there. Like, I'd rather go J.D. Martinez, maybe in the, the round beforehand, or uh, go Giancarlo, his teammate, the following round, something along those lines. I don't think I'm going to be gambling on a uh, Glaber Torres. And I know I've, I've had this conversation with many people when my rankings came out, people like, I think I still have Glaber second on my rankings just out of, you know, I get that's where he's going. I just don't see myself ever taking him. I'd probably rather have Altuve over Glaber right now, but that just sounds kind of weird at the same time. So I, I, I don't like what I, I'm getting from Glaber. I'm kind of waiting for that. Uh, he didn't really have a sophomore slump last year. I'm just waiting for some, something to not click. Or this time next year, I'll admit he's the host, the uh, Javi Baez of second base, and I'll never get him right. So it'll be one of those two situations. All the all the X stats just keep proving me wrong, and he's just a beast, and I just have to accept it. It's gonna be one of those two things because uh, my analytical brain just can't wrap my head around how good he is and why he is that good. So that's me right there. Uh, let's go to the third second baseman off the board, Johnny VR, second base, shortstop eligible. Going three picks at pick 37 after Glaber Torres. Obviously, Johnny had a monster year last year. Now he's residing in Miami. Do you like some Johnny VR this year? Oh, no. Uh, You could call me uh, stubborn or that I don't learn. I was off on VR last year. But, um, you know, he's got an $18 projection, 257 batting average, 78 runs, 17 home runs, 64 RBI. 32 uh, stolen bases. His ADP right now is 36. So he's definitely been dropping a little bit. That's about a 21 to $22 uh, pick. So you're losing three to $4 um, on VR right now, according to his steamer projection. I can certainly see, uh, um, you know, a situation where, you know, he brings back some value being on the Marlins, uh, stealing a ton of bases because they're, they're not playing for much else. Um, but I just think there's too many different scenarios where maybe he gets traded or, you know, they decide to put uh, other other guys in there, younger guys who may need to see what they've got exactly with him. 
Um, and, you know, the Marlins are really bad. And, like, as bad as the Orioles were last year, they definitely had some offensive pieces. They play in Camden Yards. Uh, VR is losing that. He made some concrete improvements last year. He, he lowered his very high uh, ground ball rate. It was still, I think, around 48%. Um, but that was down from, um, yeah, it was 49%. That was down from 56% or higher the previous four seasons. Um, so I think that's why we saw a little bit of an uptick in the power right there. His contact rate also improved um, by about 2 to 3%. So he definitely made some concrete improvements. Um, he, his plate discipline is fine. But I just think that the Marlins lineup saps a ton of value from him. Um, he'll probably be leading off. So he'll get a lot of plate appearances, but there's just not going to be like, he's not going to have Mancini behind him, driving him in as much as we wish. And I wish because I've got a ton of shares. Jesus Aguilar is that guy. Um, I just don't see him getting, reaching the same number of counting stats or power numbers. And he's a year older and speed never ages that well. So, um, again, like if he hits his projection, then, um, uh, you know, then I think it's fine. You know, you're no worse for wear, but uh, I think that uh, there's a lot of different scenarios where he doesn't, but I said the same thing last year and I was wrong. So, um, and you didn't. So what do you think about him? I loved him last year. As we, we know, his value was one thing um, and his team, because I actually liked the offense in Baltimore. Like you kept saying, I love Trey Boo Boo. I, I loved what was building around there. And obviously Baltimore didn't because they blew it all up again. But um, I, I got roster resource up here, and I guess the good thing with VR, if you want to get real crazy, not that you're going to want to play him at third base, they haven't projected to play third base. Reports have him playing third base. So eventually you'll have second base, shortstop, third base eligibility. At least it gives you flexibility, I guess, on all, all things considered. But you, you mentioned he doesn't have the, the pieces around him. You have VR leading off. You have Miguel Rojas, Brian Anderson. That's your one, two, three. Not really exciting me too much just yet. They're good players, but not what you're looking for. Then you got Corey Dickerson, okay, Jesus Aguilar, Jorge Alfaro, sure. But you're really, really grasping at straws there to get those, that production, especially the run production, like you said, out of Johnny VR this year. Like the stolen bases could be there. I'm, I'm not going to hate on that. Um, if you're looking for a steals guy late third round, if you're that kind of desperate guy, sure. But just realize he's going to probably go back to like a 15 home run guy, not a 25 home run guy. Um, he's, his average, you know, 274, 260 the last two years. If you can get 260, you should be pretty excited about that. So he's not going to help you in average. He's not going to really help. And mediocrity the rest of the way. That's the way I look at it. And this is coming from a guy that loves Johnny VR. I've loved him many a time. I have not picked him in any mock draft, any best ball draft, anything. I have passed him every draft so far. If I am wrong on this one, I will eat it. I have found my stolen bases elsewhere. There's other spots at second base, like the guy getting drafted after him. I would take a million times over Johnny VR. We'll talk about him in a minute. I just can't do it this year. That's my stance on Johnny V. I like him. If he proves me wrong, great. And then the other thing, you mentioned it. I truly, truly think if he's having a good enough year to be fantasy relevant, he's going to get traded, and then your fantasy relevant just going out the window. So – because uh, most likely he's going to a contender that already has a second baseman, a shortstop, or a third baseman. And now he's a Drupal Cabrera, but younger. So I'll just think about that one real quick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you look at his projection, it's very similar to what you'd see from like Victor Robles, who's going, who's, all, who's also getting a ton of heat. I feel like people are super down on Robles. Yeah. I want that. Yeah. Keep, yeah, keep, yeah, keep giving Robles. <laughs> Keep giving Robles heat, please. Keep keep doing that. Lower that draft price. Mm, yeah, get him into the 70s. That would be nice. 
Um, yeah. yeah, but I mean, it's pretty much as the same profile, you know, that Victor Robles has and, you know, but Robles is 25 picks cheaper. So, um, at, at, a at, a um, yeah. So. Yep. hundred percent agree with you. Now let's talk about the number four second baseman off the board. The guy that I said, I'd take over Johnny VR going about two picks after Johnny VR, give or take. And that's Ozzy Albies of the Atlanta Braves, a kid that just, but you look at his last two seasons, it's almost a spinning image, like boom, 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 same thing, but a better average last year. Another guy like Glaber Torres, still super young. He just turned 23 um, 13 days ago. I think I think he's going to continue to improve. What do you like on or like or dislike on Ozzy Albies? Yeah, I've been pretty, you know, Albies is a guy who I've definitely changed my tune on the last couple of years. I've been, I've been out on him. Um, but this year, I just really love the stability, like you mentioned. Um, Steamer has him 287, 89 runs, 24 home runs, 82 RBI, 14 stolen bases um, with an ADP of 40. That's a $19 player. It's about a $21 cost. So he's he's still losing you a little bit. But for me, like at this point, it's less about um, gaining a ton of value since that's so hard at this point in time. But I just love the profile that he provides you. Like if he provides you what he has the last two years or even like a combination of those two. Um, I think you're sitting pretty well, you know, above league average batting average. And I think this year is more indicative than, than the 261. You know, he's got a 279 career batting average. He has a really high contact rate, makes a ton of contact, swings at a lot of pitches. So puts a lot of balls in play. Um, but like you mentioned, he just turned 23. I think there's a lot of upside still in the, in the power um, he saw a surge in the second half of his hard hit rate. You know, it got up to 42.3% for the full season, so an 8% increase. Um, his ground ball rate has also um, been going down pretty consistently. Uh, and so it's down below 40%, which I like a lot. So I actually think there's a little bit maybe uh, there could be a little added pop as he gets uh, stronger mm-hmm. and, and, um, uh, and older. And then I think everything else around that is really nice. Uh, from a from a you know batting at from just where he's going to be in the lineup, the Braves lineup isn't as deep as you'd like it to be, but he'll be at the top of it, um, and so he'll be surrounded by uh, Acuna and um, Freddie uh, and Freddie, and so I think he'll get plenty of opportunities to both be driven in and to drive in runs. So that's just a really nice spot for him to be in all around, and I just love the floor that he sets. And so if I'm implementing like my my uh, pocket aces approach, where I'm grabbing two aces to begin with. I have no problem grabbing Albies at any point in the third round as kind of my first hitter, just to re- lay a really nice foundation at a very shallow position um, moving forward. How about you? How do you feel about Ozzy? I completely agree. The way you said a, a shallow position, a solid floor, like I said, you look at his last two years, it's almost it's almost identical outside of the average. And then you look at his steamer projection, and it's almost the same as his last two seasons. Like it's, The dude is as good as it comes, consistent as it comes, and he's super young. We even have a couple of hiccups here and there. Dude, and I, I kind of credit it to youth. Um, I think there's a lot more to like. You mentioned ground ball rate going up. Fly ball really, rate hasn't really increased a ton. He's gone more line drive heavy. Reminds me of a younger Manny Machado, and we kept saying, turn those line drives into some more fly balls. The ball will leave the park. I can see that coming pretty soon for a guy like Ozzy Albies. When you look at um, his pull percentage keeps going up with his line drive and fly ball percentage, hopefully coming up. Lots to like there. And, and then when you look at his, his X stats, his barrels keep going up, and his hard hit rate jumped uh, almost 5% this past year. So all the things you're looking for for a young player developing more and more power, he's doing all those things. 
And it's just a matter of time, like you said, you know, know, it's going to be Acuna, him, and Freeman. There's a great chance he gets a lot of good pitches to hit. That's the beauty of hitting in that kind of spot in the order. Um, He could have a monster year in that division, in that ballpark, you know, going to Philadelphia. Like, there's good pitchers in that division with the Mets and stuff, but you also have the Marlins. So, just remember the Mets, Phillies, Braves, Marlins, and I'm blanking on the last team for some reason. But, um, yeah, it's it's really good for Ozzy Albies. I like how you said the floor – where he's going in the draft. This is pretty much the first second baseman I've been taking a lot. I have him in a couple leagues. I'm a big fan of Ozzy Albies this year, and I'm kind of worried as maybe Altuve falls. Al- Albies, I think Albies might even jump BR at some point, and we might be talking to Albies like second or third second baseman off the board come like February. Yeah, so I, th- I think early third round and 15 teamers is where he'll end up come come March. Yep, and so enjoy the value while you have it. He's almost at the end of a third round. Uh, it's going to change dramatically. So I'm a big, big fan of Ozzy Albies. Uh, let's go to the fifth second baseman. This one's a controversial one because people are either all in on the youngster or people like to avoid youngsters until they prove it again type thing. And it's Keston Hira of the Milwaukee Brewers. He's going about pick 43 right now, uh, about six, seven, or five, six picks after Ozzy Albies. So uh, at the turn in your 15-team league in a 3-4 turn, what are you thinking about Keston here? Because I know the hit tool is great. Is the power legit? Is he going to run? Those are some of the questions we hear. What do you like? Yeah, I I like I like Hura. Um, you know, he's a steamer has him as a, him down from a projection standpoint for two seventy one, uh, seventy nine runs, twenty nine home runs, ninety two RBI, twelve stolen bases. Uh, that's about a seventeen dollar projection. At an ADP of 43, that's about a 20 to $21 player. So you're, he's losing about $3 um, according to his, um, his steamer projection. Obviously, the batting average last year was really nice, but uh, you know a 402 BABIP isn't going to hold up. I don't see anything in the profile that shows that, that, uh, that he deserves to have like a you know, career-high BABIP. Um, so I think that's definitely, you know, I'm not – saying anything revolutionary by saying that's going to come down. I think the 271 batting average seems about right um, for me. Um, Some of the plate skills, his contact rate improved as the season progressed. Um, So started out struggling a little bit in terms of making contact, um, but he was at, you know, over his last uh, 40 games, he was at about 80% in the zone and about 67% overall. So a little bit low, but I definitely think the profile is one of a guy who is going to, um, you know, have a high BABIP, uh, 266 expected batting average compared to that 303 uh, batting average. But the slug, even the, you know, the expected slug was also lower at 530 than his 570, but still a 530 slug is nothing to uh, to sneeze at from your second baseman, a 360 um, expected WOBA overall. And then from a barrel perspective, I don't have it in front of me. I'm going to get it really quick, but I believe he was almost 14%. Yeah. So almost 14% batted ball um, and then 8.3% per plate appearance. That was 41st. Um, So really solid uh, right there. And I think that um, on the deserved barrel metrics, he was actually um, came out pretty good on that one um, as well. Um, so, uh, I, I like, I like him generally speaking. I think there's a lot of potential volatility in the profile. Just one of those cases with like a 348 plate appearance sample that we're working off of where it looks really, really nice, but it's like, do you know whether pitchers haven't had an opportunity to adjust and he's been able to adjust back. And so just thinking about that and the fact that, you know, he does chase a little bit outside the zone. So, 
if that steamer projection of 26.6% K percentage looks a little bit more like, you know, his 30.7%, I think the average four could be a little bit there. So he's not necessarily a guy that I am, um, that I'm targeting, although, you know, the Brewers and that ballpark and that lineup isn't, isn't, isn't terrible. Um, so I think the projection looks fine. I think he's a fine pick right here. Again, not something I'm targeting. If I, if I want a guy, it's probably Albies at this point. And if he gets past me, I don't know if I'm going to be looking second baseman at this point, but I could definitely see the ceiling. I mean, the ceiling is, is a guy who's, you know, in the conversation next year as, as the top second baseman moving forward. Yeah, he's, he's a tricky one for me because I agree that you, you wouldn't be shocked if he just goes nuts because the, the skills we did see. But have we seen enough of the other like other half trying to figure him out, the pitchers trying to figure him out, like you said? Because if you look at his overall profile, I remember when he got drafted, I believe he was out of uh, Long Beach or Santa Barbara, one of those places. I could be totally wrong, but I thought he was down here in Southern California. And um, – you know, he had four home runs all of 2017 in the minors and 18 combined for 13. Last year, he had 19 in AAA and 19 in the bigs. Like, that is quite the spike. I know the bouncy ball's there. That's a gigantic spike regardless of what baseball they're using. The average has always been there, but with the spike in home runs, we also saw a spike in strikeout rates. Before mm-hmm. last season, highest K rate, 20.9%. In AAA, 26.3%. In, uh, in the bigs, 30.7% strikeout rate. So it makes you wonder if he changes approach to the plate. Am I just going to grip it and rip it? Still hit for a good average because, you know, the Babbitt 389 in AAA, 402 in the bigs. That is a friendly Babbitt. So I, I like him a lot. Like you mentioned, his, his stat cast page is beautiful. 14% barrel, great exit velocity. Uh, Xwell Bacon, my, my favorite, 493. That is just ridiculously good. Um, 50% hard hit rate. Like everything he does is really, really good. It just makes me wonder, is it, uh, did he just like go for broke and that's where we saw the power come from? Or is this the the new Kesson here and he's just going to hit the ball so hard that his bat is going to stay so high because he's hitting it so hard and he's still going to create good batting average. I know he's going to be a very good player, but I'm kind of with you. I like Ozzy Albies or I'd almost rather gamble on the next guy that goes a couple picks after him, even though there's a lot of similarities. I think uh, like a Cattell Marte could be quite interesting and his profiles, I think you might get a little more little more running involved with Cattell, but you never know. You never know there. So, Keston, I like him a lot. It hasn't come to the point where I'm taking him. Like I said, I take Albies or I have something else in mind. I just, I just I have trouble seeing him do it again. I need to see him do it again, basically is what it comes down to. All right, the sixth second baseman off the board, second base outfit eligible, pick 45 is Cattell Marte of the Diamondbacks. Had a monster 2019 what are you seeing for 2020? Yeah. Um, so Marte, he's got a, a steamer projection of about 16 to $17, 296 batting average, 87 runs, 23 home runs, 83 RBI, and eight stolen bases. Uh, at an ADP of 45, that's like a $20 pick or so. So he's losing about $4 um, you know, in terms of value. I do think the steamer projection steamer generally, I think has a hard time or projection systems in general. I mean, they wait, you know, the last three to five years uh, of performance. And so when you have the type of leap that Marte had from previous seasons to this year, you know, I think a lot of times that generates uh, a lower than um, maybe expected or anticipated um, overall projection. And obviously, you know, it's a 50% medium projection. 
the thing that I love about Marte, I think he's definitely been identified, you know, you're kind of like in the Marte camp or you're not in the Marte camp. And I feel mm-hmm. like there's a pretty big group of people that doesn't see a reason why he is going to, um, you know, continue what he did last year. I don't think he's going to do what he did last year necessarily. I don't certainly don't think we should anticipate that happening, but I do see reason to believe that he'll be better than his steamier projection in a couple areas. Um, the first is that there was a major change in his uh, batted ball profile. So he, his uh, ground ball rate um, dropped by 8% um, from 2018. So from 51.2%, which is way higher than league average, to 43.1%, which is right around league average. His hard hit rate also took another jump up about 6% from 36% to 42 percent and I think the thing that I really like about Marte and the reason why I would draft him ahead of Hira is just because the profile is so much more solid so like his contact rate 83.6 percent total so that's like seven percent higher than league average his in-zone contact is elite above 90 percent so he's making a ton of contact and I think where this comes into play and where people might misjudge him is like if you look at Marte and a lot of times StatCast will focus in on um on uh barrels per batted ball event and if you look at his barrels per batted ball event you're like oh man 9.3 percent like that's that's weak that's nothing like he's not making a ton of you know that's like you know whatever it's it's fine but it's nothing to write home about but then when you take a look at his barrels per plate appearance you know it's 7.2 percent which again is not elite but is very good and the reason why there i think there's that that big difference between what you might anticipate um you know, with his batted ball per batted ball event and per his plate appearance is a lot of guys who hit barrels aren't making as much contact. And so he's just putting a ton more balls into play. When you look at his max exit velo, he's a tiny guy, but he has an insanely high max exit velo of 116.3 miles per hour, which is absolutely um, studly. I mean, like uh, one, uh, 116.3, that's the 13th highest max exit velo of any player um, in baseball, right behind Bryce Harper and Mike Trout. Um, and so he's a guy who I think, um, yeah, he may not have like the, the power, like, uh, the every at bat power that a lot of other guys do, but he makes up for it because he makes so much contact and he puts so many balls into play. And I think that is a really, um, critical, uh, difference. Um, for me, I think that's important to note. Um, with a guy like Marte Um, and then so I'm kind of like if you were to if you were to say like have me pick somewhere a camp for him to be in you know I'd say like look at his expected stats from last year you know 299 batting average a 370 I'm expected well about 521 expected slug like something like that I think would be much more where my projection is at so a slightly higher batting average um, and he has right now with his uh, steamer projection. And I definitely think the power is much more closer to the 30 home run total. And I know with um, uh, with Marte, he definitely earned it according to uh, Max Freeze's like earned uh, home runs. Um, so he's a guy that I like. I think the, um, you know, the stolen bases is something that people expect because he's small and wiry and he's pretty damn fast. But he really doesn't steal a ton of bases. So I feel like that eight stolen bases is is about where he should be. So I think he's slightly better than maybe the steamer projection has him. Um, 
But uh, I also see where, you know, um, people might be a little bit surprised by that. So he's a guy like maybe if, if, if he makes it out of the third round um, and into the fourth round, like the middle of the fourth round, because people are dropping him, I might have a little bit more um, interest as long as JT Real Muto is already off the board uh, <laughs> to go after him. How about you? What do you think of Marte? Uh, I'm a big fan of what he's doing. I agree the steamer projections are too low. Um, what he did last year is for real, I believe. So, like, I, I'm more towards the 30 home run camp for sure. You just look at his overall page, and, and I love the improvements year after year, the last, especially last three years. Barrel rates improved every year. Hard hit rate, exit velocity, all the things you're looking for keep improving. Like the 40% hard hit rate last year. And on the flip side, his strikeout rate keeps dropping every year. Last year is almost the same as 18, but it dropped all the way down to 13.7, which I'm a big fan of as well. And that correlates with, like you know, like you said, um, the zone contact, all that good stuff gets better and better. But you look at his ground ball rate, went from 52% to 44%. Fly ball went from 19 to 23. Line drive even improved. So his quality of contact was much, much better last year, and it correlated into, into a big, big season. So I think there's a lot to like with, with Cattell this year. Like a 300 average would be pretty solid, 30-plus home runs. Uh, run into maybe – maybe get, get him, you know, like – seven, eight, nine stolen bases, I, I can be fine with that. So I think he's a very, very good profile. I, it's like you said when you started out that you're either pro Cattell Marte or you're not because there's definitely those two sides on Twitter, uh, big, big fans of his, or, or you think it was a fluke. I don't think it was a fluke. Do I want the uh, pick 45 asking price? That's another argument. But uh, I like, like you said, if he falls maybe another half around to a round, it gets much more enticing. But where he's going right now is just tricky and – the way I've been seeing my my teams build, but I do like Cattell Marte a lot. I would take him over Keston here. Like I said, he'd probably be my second uh, my second second baseman off the board after Ozzy Albies. Um, and, and I'm a big fan of what we saw last year, and I think he can definitely get it done in the desert again this year. The seventh second baseman off the board, second base outfit eligible pick 54 is Whit Merrifield of the Kansas City Royals. Um, he disappointed last year, to say the least. The the running stats that you draft with Merrifield for were definitely not there last year, only stealing 20 bags after 34 and 45. Um, everything else is pretty much in line with what he's done in the past. But what do you think about him going into 2020, Toby? Yeah, um, you know, I think the key with Merrifield is is two years ago, I think, what is that, 2018 drafts? I really loved Merrifield because I felt like he was he was bringing some pretty good value going later in drafts last year, he jumped up to that, you know, two, three turn. And I just think it's, it's, it's tough for a guy, um, you know, without like, with, with not that much power to return that. Um, and so I was, wasn't into him last year really, but this year, um, I don't know, like I'm, I haven't been in on him, but I feel like maybe I should be a little bit, I don't know. I just can't bring myself to do it, I guess. You know, Steamer has him for about a seventeen to eighteen dollar projection, two eighty two batting average, eighty nine runs, fourteen home runs, sixty five RBI, uh, twenty three stolen bases, which is good for about a nineteen dollar, um, you know, ADP. So you're losing like a dollar or two on him. Um, I think the thing for me, uh, the the concerns for me, obviously the stolen bases drying up a little bit. Um, are a concern. He is older, even though he hasn't been around that long. Um, he's going to be 31 when the season starts. His sprint speed did go down last year, which raises a little bit of uh, of concern. 
Um, you know, the thing for me too, is like the power, you know, 19, 12 and 16, like that's, that's okay. Um, but you can't have too many of those in your lineups. And if you're not going to be able to count on him for that, like 30 to 40 stolen bases, it's hard to justify taking him, um, you know, over, you know, a guy like, like, you know, not to bring up Robles all the time, but like Robles or somebody who's going to get you a little bit more stolen bases or at least a combination of stolen bases um, and power. The batting average is certainly nice, but I am a little concerned about the contact rate. Um, it's still great, 81.7% overall, 87.2% in the zone. But when you look at the three-year rates, you know, in the zone has dropped uh, over 4%, almost 5% in the last uh, uh, three years. Uh, his overall contact rate has dropped about 3% um, over the same period of time. And so I just think that there's starting to be some warning signs with the speed. There's starting to be some warning, warning signs um, with the with the contact. And so if that BABIP gets anywhere under that 350 mark, you know, and his batting average even gets into the 280 zone, you can kind of see how he may not uh, provide as much upside as maybe, um, you know, we want to see from that area of the draft, while also kind of hurting you a little bit. Um, his runs were really nice last year, you know, the 105, but I don't know, you know, if I would expect that to, you know, repeat, like his OBP isn't that great. And the Royals lineup um, is somewhat uh, dreadful. And so, you know, probably not going to get many shares of him. He's another guy where like, maybe if he drops a little bit and my team needs it, the one thing he does have going for him is he is um, a second baseman uh, and second base is just really, really uh, shallow this year. And so, you know, for that reason, I still think he's, he's somewhat viable, but I think there's a little too many yellow flags on his profile for me to take him right here. It, it is a benefit to be second base for sure, but um, I, I don't like what I'm seeing from his overall hit profile uh, over on a stack cast page. Like in the last few years, the barrel rate continues to drop. The hard hit rate continues to drop even the era of the bouncy ball. He wasn't making quality contact. I know he was hurt off and on last year, but to steal 20 bags, bags like you said, the, the sprint speed dropping down the ground, ball rates improving. Um, these are all things I don't like seeing out of Whit Merrifield, the guy that you were specifically drafting for 30-plus, if not 40-plus stolen bases. It's like if you're if you're drafting one of these guys for stolen bases, go draft Johnny VR. Like go just get VR. Don't wait for Whit Merrifield. I've, I got critiqued heavily when my second base rankings came out because I had went ranked ninth and people gave me a hard time and let alone now he's seventh and in ADP. So let's just say I'm not too far off from what's happening here. Um, if he slips in batting average at all, the whole thing takes a, a plummet. Could, could Witt turn it around? Sure. But I don't see a lot of the power increase. Maybe he gets a good average and scores you some runs, but the stolen bases, I'd be shocked if he gets to 30 this year. I think 25 is your ceiling. With him, because I really do think as age gets here, maybe when I made fun of the new contract that, that the Royals got a deal, maybe Wick got the deal. Maybe he knew something we didn't know, and that's why he signed it and said, screw it, I'm going to stay here. But um, I don't like what I'm seeing, and I liked Wit in the past. It's been real sketchy with Wit Merrifield. But, uh, hey, maybe I'll be wrong on this one. I just don't like uh, the overall decrease in a lot of his profile right now. Yeah, he's a good he's a good example. Like in re real baseball, like you just mentioned, and even in dynasty leagues, where it's like when you get those guys who are like 
29 or 30 and have kind of their career years or their value is at its highest or near its peak, like that's the time to move on because the downside can come uh, super quickly for guys like that, especially guys who rely on speed. And so KC's, yeah, they're left with that contract. Even now, if they tried to trade him, I don't know how how good of a uh, of a return they might be able to uh, uh, to get back from him. And 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 similarly, like if you have him in a dynasty league, like the time that you're going to get a ton back from him is probably, you know, was after that you know five war season he had in in 2018 as a as a 29 30 year old. So um, yeah. Yeah, we'll have to see how it goes. But uh, the next two second basements we talked about before, I'll let you have the floor if you'd like it. I'm, I pretty much gave my points already. Uh, number eight is DJ LeMayhew. He's going about pick 70. Uh, that seems like it's falling a little bit, but maybe not. Nah, there's about 66 last time, so not too bad. Uh, and then Max Muncy's ninth. He's going to pick 84. Uh, do you have anything you want to reiterate or uh, on DJ LeMayhew or Max Muncy? Not really, you know, D- LeMahieu is growing a little bit on me as a potential target just because of that second base eligibility. Like maybe it's just thinking of him as a first baseman. I was like, no thanks. But, you know, if you look at his last few seasons, you know, his batting average, you know, 348, 310, 276, 327. I think the 285 steamer projection is pretty conservative. I, I, I think with the profile that he has, a 300 batting average seems a reasonable expectation since that's his career batting average, even the 93 runs and 74 RBI, you know, if he's leading off in that, in that Yankees lineup and getting on base at like a 350 plus clip, like that's a, that's a pretty good bet for a hundred plus runs. Uh, The power again, his, his swing is pretty much tailor made for Yankee, Yankee stadium. Uh, Just that short right field park. He hits everything in the air to the opposite field, right at that line right there. And then he even adds in a little bit of, of stolen bases. And so I actually don't mind mind him right here. Um, you know, I, I think if you were to bump up that batting average, a little bit of the power and some of the counting stats, I think you'd be looking at something similar to what um, maybe like a Marte from a valuation standpoint would be providing you. So I don't mind LeMayhew at all here. And I think that triple position eligibility of third base, second base, and first base and the fact that in at least first base and third base, he kind of provides a profile that you wouldn't traditionally get at third base. I think those things are actually like, um, you know, reasons why I might like him a little bit more at this position. Although I'm not sure that I would, that I would necessarily bite because, you know, a guy like Jeff McNeil has a fairly similar profile uh, going a, a couple rounds later. Uh, we'll talk about him a little later, but LeMayhew, his steamer projection, again, I did it on the first base podcast, but just so folks have, some consistency, 285 with the 93 runs, 19 home runs, 74 RBI, and seven stolen bases. That's about a $13 projection. Uh, the cost is about $18, so he's losing $5. So Steamer doesn't like him at this particular spot. But again, I think there's a little bit of an undervaluation of the of at least the batting average, if not some of the counting stats uh, that he could put together in that incredible Yankees lineup playing every single day. So, um, you know, I think that's, that's something that I like about him. Max Muncy is just a guy that I'm really going to stay away from the more I think about it. I mean, we're going to cover a guy, Mike Moustakis going, mm-hmm. you know, 40, 35 picks later than Muncy, who I would probably bet money on will finish with a better line, at least in, you know, non OBP five by five. And so, you know, for that reason, I just, I just can't see myself picking Muncy um, at any point remotely close to what his ADP right is right now. 
you know, he's got about a seven to $8 projection based on steamer 241, 81 runs, uh, 29 home runs, 79 RBI, um, and, uh, four, uh, stolen bases. Um, the thing I think about Muncie, so that is worth a, uh, his, that's a seven, $8 projection. Uh, his cost is like about $17. So you're essentially losing $9 according to steamer, um, on that particular bet that you're making. And I think something we forget about Muncie too, is that, you know, he is kind of in his prime at 29, but he is, he did get into the majors when he was older. So he's not a young guy by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and so, um, again, like what the, his aging curve is going to look like, I'm not exactly sure, but, um, I don't think betting on him replicating last season, um, is a good bet to make. I think the steamer projection is, is relatively reasonable. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just not touching Muncie. I don't know if you, have, if you have anything to add on either of those two guys. Uh, LeMayhew has grown on me a bit as well. I moved him up to sixth in my second base rankings from, um, not like him at all to, like the ability, the ability in that Yankees lineup quite a bit. So I'm with you there. Muncie, I, I want nothing to do with. I, I said that pretty clearly. And um, when you mentioned one of my favorites, Moustakis, uh, out producing him gives me all the warm and, warm and fuzzies. So I'm a big fan of that because Moose is number eight on my list at second base. Huge Moose fan this year. Uh, but before we get to Moose, number 10, you mentioned his name, Jeff McNeil. Outfield, second base, third base eligibility. Going to pick 86, a pick after Max Muncy coming off a monster season. What do you have on McNeil? Yeah, McNeil is actually a guy that I have started to target more and more in drafts. Like just the more I think about, um, you know, what he's able to provide. So uh, Steamer also has him as a guy who's losing value at his current draft position. You know, about a $14 player, according to a Steamer projection, that's 288. 80 runs, 20 home runs, 73 RBI, nine stolen bases, ADP of 85. It's about a $16 pick. Um, the thing that I love about McNeil, which is similar to LeMahieu, is just he provides a different profile Like because he, he has third base eligibility as well. So he provides a different profile at third base. But then at second base, like if you just look at um, – we just look at him. I mean, he's got now 800 plate appearances in the big leagues. He's hit 329 and 318. So above 300 in you know, all two years, he's got a real low uh, strikeout rate. Um, he was able to hit 23 home runs last year, despite not playing in a full complement of games. He stole five bases. I don't necessarily think you can count on the, sto- the stolen bases, but I do think that having like five to 10 um, is a reasonable expectation for him. Um, he should hit uh, towards the top of that lineup right there. He should get on base at a good clip just because of the, um, you know, the, the batting average, uh, you know, he's not going to have a great OBP or, I mean, he's not gonna have a great walk rate, but the batting average is such where he's going to be excellent. And that was kind of always his, um, uh, his card calling card was the really high batting average right there. But I think the power is the thing that is of, uh, most interest, um, to me, um, you know, that's something that I didn't necessarily expect to come from him. And I know that he battled some injuries, I believe in the second half. A lot of his power came at that point in time, but he also, his batting average dipped to 276 from 349. Um, so probably a little bit of regression happening right there, but I think he's a solid bet to hit over 300 um, and to provide, you know, 80, 80 when it comes to runs and RBI to hit like 20 plus home runs and then to get five to 10 stolen bases. 
And that's a really nice profile going where he's going right now with the dual position eligibility. I think those are the things that I like about some of this second base class is he also has outfield eligibility if you need to use him there. Although, you know, it's unlikely given how deep outfield is. But I think, you know, like this is the type of profile I think that has a lot of different ways to return um, value for you. And I think a batting average anchor like him getting it, getting him at this point in the draft, he's kind of one of the last guys that you can get that's a really solid batting average anchor um, that doesn't hurt you a ton in any of the different categories. So for that reason, I think he's a real uh, solid bet here around ADP of 85. And I think he's actually been dropping a little bit recently. So it'll be interesting to see where exactly his, his ADP lands, um, you know, batting average oftentimes seems to be kind of a little bit of forgotten thing. And so we'll see where he ends up, but I, I'm, I'm digging him this year. How about you? Yeah, it's interesting. His uh, range of draft 59 to 104 right now. So it's all over the board with him. I think a lot of it has to be the batting average factor, like you mentioned, because it seems to be reliable even outside of his major league production. He's always been a pretty high uh, 300 plus guy for most of his minor league career. So we've seen the hit tool be very, very productive. The power tool came on in 18 and 19. Now that is good to see. And it's um, it's been a fun discussion with a few people with, with McNeil and another guy we'll talk about later, but he's not like tearing the cover off the ball, just a minor change from like 2.4 to 4.8% barrel, doubling his barrel rate. He went from a 28.9 to a 36.6% hard hit rate. Just minor little things like that. You throw in the bouncy ball and the ball starts flying. You know, you don't think of Jeff McNeil as a massive power guy, but Lots of extra bases, lots of doubles. You know, it's Exo Bacon's 373. So when he puts the ball in play, it's very, very productive, uh, especially towards the top of that Mets order where he's going to be able to drive in some runs. So I like that quite a bit. And the crazy thing is I mentioned the, the increase in the barrels and the hard hit. He even increased his ground ball rate, though. So his ground ball rate's to 43.6%, and he lowered his fly ball rate to 241 If we start getting the ball in the air some more, who knows what Jeff McNeil can do. I'm not by any means saying he's going to be like a 30-plus home run guy but for those trying to say that you know he's going to drop back below 20 maybe be 15 or low because i've heard that conversation a lot i think just a couple more little tweaks as as he keeps developing at the plate he could become a consistent 20 plus guy he's 27 years old he'll be 28 a little after opening day uh you, you just look at his numbers they just keep getting better and better he's starting to run less his power went up uh, in the minors I do like him quite a bit where he's going. And you mentioned he keeps dropping in drafts, it feels like. And it makes me kind of appeal to him more and more. When he was higher up in the drafts, like I couldn't bring myself to go after him as much. But uh, where he's starting to go, he's, he's a very nice target if you miss out on, say, an Ozzy Albies or uh, one of these earlier second basemen and you need some batting average help later. Like you mentioned, if you took some gambles early on, I think a guy like uh, Jeff McNeil is a great staple for some teams. Might not be the sexiest of plays, but the stability he brings to you, big, big fan. Um, like you said, probably won't use him in the outfield, but you never know when injuries take place. Third base, probably won't even use him there. Like There's other guys you might use, but second base for sure. Big, uh, big fan of that. But um, let's take a look at number 11 on the second base list, Mike Moustakis, second base, third base eligibility. Going about pick 107, that's like 22 picks, 21 picks after Jeff McNeil. So there's a big gap after uh, 10 and 11, according to the NFBC ADP. But the Moose Talkus in Cincinnati 
is what dreams are made of, Toby. What are your thoughts on Mike Moustakis? Yeah, and one last thing about McNeil. I mean, he strikes me as the type of guy where the contact that he's able to make, like he's one of the guys like Jose Ramirez who can really mm-hmm. uh, intentionally pull a ton of fly balls or hit like, um, you know, like uh, have the barrel control to be able to do that better than I think most hitters hitters can. Maybe Bregman is a better example of that. But um, on Moustakis, so he is a, about a $14 player. Steamer has him at 256 with 82 runs, 36 home runs, 97 RBI, and three stolen bases. His ADP of 112 is about a $14 player. So he's about even. Um, I think the thing with Moustakis is it's kind of like you know what you're going to get with him. He's got a very consistent profile. He's going to hit you probably in the 250s. You know, his projection is 256. Like he's 254, 251, 272. He actually makes quite a bit of contact for a guy with his profile. Um, So only strikes out about 17% of the time. Um, But 38 home runs, 28 home runs, 35 home runs. Uh, Darren, I can never, is it, is it, uh, Wilman, Darren, uh, yes. Darren Wilman of uh, Baseball Savant, when he signed with the Reds, he put out uh, an infographic that just showed that, or a graphic that showed Moustakas, the best place for him to end up in any ballpark in all of baseball was in Cincinnati at Great American Small Park, because just where he hits the ball is perfect for um, that stadium, and it's shortest in that stadium, and so... I expect the home runs, like I think the projection of 36 seems pretty, you know, it seems high, but I think that's that's a solid projection. 82 runs, 97 RBI. Um, you know, that lineup isn't great, but there's a decent enough core to it where I think, you know, he should be fine from just a runs and RBI perspective. So just a really solid profile um, to get uh, at this point in drafts. And so I really like him. If you've missed out, I think on earlier second baseman, if you can get Moustakas, you know, anywhere after pick 100, I think it's a it's a solid bet if you've gotten your speed and you've gotten some of your batting average and you're just looking to boost your counting stats and your power a little bit. Um, I don't mind uh, taking Moustakas here at all. How do you feel? Well, you obviously love him. <laughs> I love Moustakas. I think, you know, if you can get a guy 30 to 40 home run, maybe close to 40 in Great American Small Park, uh, the run production will be there. And I think a very good lineup that Reds team, that they should be putting up some runs, like some good run production this year. Uh, and then the average, the average is never ideal with Moustakis, but the other f- categories, the runs, RBIs, home runs are going to be outstanding at that point in the draft. I, I like him more than Muncy, like you said. I don't know if he'll beat this person in average, probably not in stolen bases either, even though he doesn't run much. But I think he could equal or be a better value based on draft differential than Glaber Torres. I'll just I'll say that. I think if you look at value by the end of the season where they were drafted, I think Moustakas could out-earn Glaber Torres. So I'm, I'm a big, big fan of Moose in that stadium, uh, in that division against some of those those staffs and everything. Uh, give me all the Moustakas. I'm not, I'm not even going to go deep in the stat cast pages like I usually do. I am a huge fan of the way how hard he hits the baseball, how much he elevates the baseball. This is a grip-it-and-rip-it guy, and give me all of the Moustakas this year. If you're drafting with me and you take my Moustakas, you will pay. No, I'm just kidding. But wow. um, that this is a guy I really – Really like this year. Um, let's go to number 12, the final one. This is a good one. I'm glad Vlad Sedler tweeted it out today because I, I can say it loudly and it, it won't matter, but when Vlad says it, people listen. And so now they'll listen to this. Eduardo Rodriguez, 12th off the board, pick 126. 
He had a monster year last year, a career year, just like his teammate did. But Cattell Marte is going 80 picks before him. What's your thoughts on Eduardo Escobar? Yeah, um, Escobar is a guy that I am not really after uh, this year. Um, you know, his steamer projection, 257, 79 uh, runs, 25 home runs, 86 RBI, four stolen bases. That's about a $9 value. At an ADP of 116, you know, that's a $13.82, uh, so like about a $14 uh, ADP draft pick right there. So he's losing you $5. Uh, um I think uh, Escobar is fine. Like, I think he's the type of guy where when you're getting him after pick 200, like you're excited about it or even deeper than that last year. Um, But when you are, um, you know, when you actually have to, you know, pay a little bit of a price for him, um, then I think it's a little bit less intriguing. You know, a huge jump in home runs, 35 home runs. He had an incredibly high volume of pulled fly balls last year. And uh, generally speaking, with most players, um, pulled fly balls are not something that's predictive. So like year to year, um, they're not predictive. Um, and so, and he's a guy, like there are certain players, Nolan Arenado and, and um, uh, Alex Bregman uh, are two of them who consistently have, Max Kepler's another, who consistently have a crap ton of pulled uh, fly balls. But Escobar, this is the first year that he's shown up in that category, and so I don't think it's 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 a it's a good bet that he's going to repeat it. He's also among the guys that uh, things like the earned home runs and deserved barrels see as taking uh, you know some steps uh, back. Um, and so I, I think um, you know he's a guy that I'm not really targeting. You know, there's not a ton of speed. Obviously, the counting stats were exceptional last year with over 200. But I don't think you can count on that type of counting stat production um, from uh, a guy like um, uh, Escobar. Like that's just you can't. There's very few players in all of baseball that you can count on to get, you know, as a projection like 200 plus uh, runs in RBI. So I think like the you know 79 and 86 is fine. But I don't think there's anything particularly um, special um, in that. And then when you look at like some of the other guys that are going around um, around him there, like uh, Oscar Mercado, Yuli Gurriel, um, even some pitchers like Wheeler, Lamette, Montas, uh, Yasiel Puig, Nick Castellanos, Reese Hoskins, like there's just uh, Michael Conforto. There's a lot of guys that I feel like I trust a lot more to be able to um, contribute in, in 2020 than I do Escobar. Obviously, second base is a little bit of a benefit, but it's just not um, – I'm not as interested in, in his. And, and maybe I could be wrong, and he does it again. And, and then maybe heading into next year, next year, I'll feel a little bit better about it. But um, at this point in time, he's not a guy that I'm really uh, targeting. Yeah, I think trying, drafting him and assuming for 30-plus homers is a little asking much. But I definitely could see mid-20s. I don't have a problem with that at all. Uh, batting average isn't going to be tremendous for you. But I still think he'd be very productive on that Arizona team. But as the 12th second baseman, maybe not. Like, I'd probably take a gamble on a Gavin Biggio or a, or a, a Gavin Lux, something along those lines, a, a few picks after, or even go deeper on some. I do like Escobar a lot. I, I do. I just don't know if I like him at this draft price. And in recent years, I've had him, like, when he was on the Twins, he was free. And, and I loved everything about him because he, he, he would get the job done. 
the increase in the power last year. Like with as much as I love it for Cattell Marte, I haven't quite bought into it with Escobar. He's also he's he's thirty one, so he's a lot. He's going to be older uh, than Cattell Marte. He actually took a decrease in barrel rates. His uh, his you mentioned uh, you know his chase rates gone up and everything like that. So it's a very w- weird profile. He's taking advantage of the pulled home runs, like you were talking about. Uh, the fly ball rate increased four percent, which was tremendous, and that's why you could see the increase in the power. But you know if his fly balls go back to kind of more towards normal for him. Maybe doesn't pull the ball as much. We might lose a lot of home runs, and you're drafting him for 35 homers because he's not going to be a batting average uh, asset for you at all. Um, we saw the, the 118 RBIs last year. That's just insanity uh, for for what he did. I I find that very hard to see happen again. I agree more with the steamer projection of 86 and then 79 runs. So the steamer projection I actually like quite a bit. I, I think it's pretty darn accurate uh, of what you can expect from him, which is a very good line. It's not the 12-second baseman off the board line, I would say. Not pick um, 126 line, and that's where I have a problem taking Eduardo Escobar. I think he's a very good ball player, and he could have a very, very good year, but I don't think he's going to have the kind of year you're drafting him for at that price point. Yeah, All right. Just to, just to uh, make a, an update, so I did look up. I, I got Alex's deserved barrel rate in front of me, so – uh, both Marte, because we mentioned him when it came to it, um, like Marte uh, outperformed his expected barrels by 0.6, and I believe uh, Escobar did as well. So not by a ton, but um, uh, but uh, by a little bit. I think a ne- negligible amount. So I'll take that away. I think it might have must have been the earned home runs, and that's a good uh, it's a good message to everybody to always check your work and don't don't trust your brain all the time. There you go. Uh, that wraps up our top 12 this go-around. Let's do a couple quick hitters here, and then we will t- tackle all of the listener questions. Um, who are two sleepers after the top 10 you're looking to target this year? Yeah, the first one for me um, is Jonathan Scope. Um, he just signed with the, the Tigers. Uh, he should have a full set of plate appearances, batting somewhere in a decent spot in that lineup since they don't have a ton of guys. Obviously, like it's not going to be a very good lineup, but the plate appearance is what matters. If you look at him, his ADP is 378, um, and that's a $1 pick. Uh, his um, steamer projection, you might hear my cat is attacking various things on the table right now. Uh, his steamer projection is 262 with 67 runs, 26 home runs, 79 RBI, and two stolen bases. So that's like a $6 projection. So it's not huge, but when you think about it, like if you get him as a middle infielder, for instance, um, you know, a 262 with 67 runs, 26 home runs, 79 RBI, two stolen bases, that ain't, you know, that ain't bad, especially when you're kind of mixing and matching based on matchups and maybe starting him against some AL Central opponents and some weaker opponents and then, you know, mixing in somebody else who maybe has a little bit more speed and batting average into that equation. So I really like scope a lot. Um, Isan Diaz is kind of a, a, a random guy. I've been trying to like figure out whether I do like him or not, but I think like he's worth, uh, uh, worth a gamble. I mean, his ADP right now in ja- draft champions is 529. So he's not even going drafted. Like if this were a traditional 15 team league, like an NFBC, um, he has a, his steamer projection is 233, 61 runs, 19 home runs, 61 RBI and seven stolen bases. 
So obviously the 19 home runs and the seven stolen bases are a little nice there. The one thing that I do, um, you know, that I do like about um, Diaz is um, the the approach at the plate actually seems pretty good so far. So like in his last 30 games in major in the majors, um, you know, so looking at his 30 game rolling average, um, his O swing was at 21 percent. So really good plate discipline right there and pretty consistently there. And then towards the end uh, of his time in, in uh, the big leagues last year, because he just had a brief call up or not brief, but like a decent call up, you know, his in-zone contact rate was all the way up at 89%, 89.1% over those last 30 games. So he's got two key pieces with the plate discipline and the contact skills. And then the hard hit rate um, was all, also wasn't bad, like slightly better than league average at about 36, 37%. And the ground ball rate was around league average. Um, and so the reason what I, what I like about that is when you look at the prospect pedigree, like there's some pedigree there. You know, in AAA last year, he hit uh, 305 with 26 home runs, only five stolen bases, but he only struck out on uh, 22.1% of his plate appearances. And so he struck out in close to 29% in the big leagues. The steamer has him down at 25.4% with a 9.4% walk rate, which is pretty decent. And I think he's going to get, you know, every single opportunity imaginable uh, to contribute uh, in that spot. And so that's an instance where, you know, like the plate appearances could be there. There are bits and pieces of the skill that we've seen. Um, but previously, like, you know, he's been able to hit for some power. I don't see why he wouldn't be able to hit for a little bit of power here. He hasn't shown it. And I think a lot of times batted ball quality is kind of the last thing to show up. So the fact that he has a good plate discipline and, and good contact skills um, so far um, in the big leagues, I think bodes pretty well um, for him. Three other guys that are kind of going deeper in drafts that I do like. Cesar Hernandez is one guy who's kind of like Mr. Consistent, I feel like. The one weakness I think that he has is that the batting average is an elite. Oh, Bubba, I'm just blowing what? through mine. I haven't even asked you what yours are. <laughs> I got so excited. I'm going to stop at those two and then I'll throw in the other guys afterwards after I hear your two, because I think we're supposed to go off, you know, off and on. <laughs> well, I'm glad you stopped because one of them is one of your last three you put down there. Okay, um, sweet. Uh, Tommy Lestella is a guy that I absolutely love. I, the, the price tag at 279 right now, uh, I might be mm. getting kind of crazy because, you, you know, I, I, he had a crazy year last year, got hurt and we didn't see him again, but 16 homers, 49 runs, 44 rubies, 295. In 80 games, I like a lot. Like when we see the the overall profile, his, his barrel rate went through the roof. His hard hit rate went through the roof. He was a definite swing change. Like his whole approach to the plate changed with Tommy Vestella. The ground ball rate dropped. His fly ball rate, you know, it was 18.3 and 17. It was 9.9 and 18. And then went to 21.6 in 2019. That is quite the jump there. So he definitely, he, he reminded me of like when Daniel Murphy made his swing change in the offseason. Maybe a Justin Turner type thing. Stella was looking legit, and I'd be willing to take a gamble on that at pick 279. Projected hit leadoff for the um, Anaheim Angels could be really, really nice. Um, uh, there's a lot for me to like with with, uh, with Stella at 279. I don't mind your Cesar Hernandez take. I like that quite a bit. Um, the other guy I was going to mention, it was kind of a toss-up between two, but I will pick just one, and that is one Starling Castro. Um it's, it's a name that a lot of people don't like, but people forget he's only 29, only 30 in uh, March 24th. 
and it seems like he's been playing forever. But a guy that just consistently gets it done, he is with the Nationals. Playing time is up in the air right now, but he's supposed to start at second base. If he's starting at second base, that'll be huge because I think that gives you 15 to 20-plus home runs. Uh, it could be 20-plus for sure if he gets the everyday job. There are a lot of moving parts there, so just kind of you have to pay attention in spring training to see where he goes. But a very, very solid average with a guy like Marte, you know, 270, 278, 300 the last three years. He's not going to hurt you there. He's going to give you some power. Uh, the counting stats should be there. on still a pretty good Nationals team, even though Rendon's not there. So a guy like uh, Castro at 270, I'm a big fan of. Uh, what are some of the other ones you were looking at? Um, so, yeah, and, and I love those. Uh, I had Tommy Lastella listed here, and again, apologies. It's very, like, fitting that I just continue to <laughs> ramble on through, like, all of mine. Um, so Tommy Lastella, I agree, and I think the top end of that, you know, Angels lineup is going to be really, really good. So even if he's just the strong side of the platoon there, I don't mind having guys who are like the strong side of a platoon in situations because you can actually squeeze out a little additional value there, I think, if you have the guys to kind of mix and match and be taking advantage of, uh, of, the, um, of uh, quality matchups. I mean, also you generally get the best hitting aspects of that player when you get the strong side um, of the platoon. I mean, yeah, and then the, the strikeout rate was like 8% last year with the power numbers he was putting up. And so it's just a very, I think, like stable, um, you know, batted uh, from a plate discipline perspective. So the other guys, so Cesar Hernandez, the one thing I had, I don't have Cesar Hernandez actually in any drafts. The one thing that raises concerns for me is just the fact that like in today's power landscape, um, you know, a guy who doesn't steal a ton of bases and a guy who doesn't hit many home runs and doesn't provide elite batting average is a little bit tough, you know? And so he's kind of like at his best, he's kind of like a 15, 15 guy, but I think in a lot of instances, he's kind of like a, you know, I think what did he hit like 11 home runs last year or something like that with, you know, a similar amount of stolen bases. And so, um, you know, that's a, it's a solid, but uh, he had 14 home runs and nine stolen bases last year, you know, in in almost 700 plate appearances with a 279 batting average. So, Again, that's nothing to sneeze at, but like when you look, you give him the steamers 277 with 11 home runs, you know, 71 runs, 56 RBI, and nine stolen bases. It's just a four dollar value. So it's definitely, you know, about what he's going at right now. But, um, you know, if you are a little bit strapped for speed or batting average, I think late he's good. And then one just like kind of shot in the dark is Chad Pinder of the A's. He seems like the forgotten man to me there just because like there's all these discussions about like the second base job. And I'm not suggesting that he's going to get the job full time because, you know, he's, he's been used pretty steadily as part of the weak side platoon there, but he has been playing for a long time. Like the profile is pretty solid. I think he struggled with injuries in the second half last year, but otherwise he's been uh, a stat cast darling in previous seasons and the A's haven't really gone out of their way to get another second baseman. I don't really believe in Barreto. I don't know about Mateo and whether he's ready either. And so I wouldn't be surprised if they use like a Chad Pinder, uh, Tony Kemp type of, uh, you know, uh, platoon there at second base. Um, and if that's the case with him getting some out-bats in the outfield, I think like for very, very deep leagues, like a draft and hold, he's been a guy that I've been actually targeting a ton for that reason. So He's one that I'll throw in there as well. Yeah, I like the season of Hernandez. I've always been a big fan of him with Philly. Uh, now with Cleveland, they, they're projecting him to bat sixth. 
if for some way Oscar Mercado falters somewhere or Lindor gets traded and Hernandez finds himself at the top of the order, I'd be a huge, huge fan of that play. A couple others, more value alone is uh, Robinson Cano. I know people don't like love the name. He's old, all these things. He still has 20-plus homer upside, still hits for a good average. Going to pick 328, supposed to get cleanup for the Mets. So there's a lot to be to to maybe like in that scenario with Robinson Cano. Uh, I do like a gamble on Jose Peraza if we start to see he's going to get the everyday second base job. Uh, I, I mentioned in the um, what I got wrong at second base earlier this year uh, was Jose Peraza, who I was a big fan of. He's still super young in a Red Sox team and a lineup that can be very productive, could run and be good at pick 353. And then Hanser Alberto, a guy I loved in daily fantasy because he mashed left-handed pitching. Very good batting average uh, asset at three fifty six. So if you need late batting average help, we mentioned there's not a ton of it. Hanser Alberto actually is that guy. He can be. He's not going to do a whole lot else for you. He really won't. He might get you some doubles, but that's not going to help you a ton in fantasy. But he's going to get on base a lot because he has a really good hit tool for uh, average wise. So don't mind Alberto either. What is a bust? Who is your bust at second base? Yeah, my first bust, which won't come as a surprise if you were listening early in the show, is uh, Max Muncy. Um, I just don't see myself grabbing Muncy in any format. Um, I just think that, you know, his profile is not a profile that's unique. And so, um, especially with second base being a position that you need to get at least a little bit of speed from, his is just not a profile, at least for second base that I'm targeting. We already covered him at first base. I'm not interested there either. And so... Um, I'm just going to be a hard pass on Muncie this year, I think. Yeah, I'm 100% with you. Muncie is a, a no-go for me. So we, we don't need to elaborate on that. I think we buried him enough. This just means, folks, he's going to be like an MVP candidate. Just throwing it out there because we buried him completely. So who else you got? Um, my second one is uh, uh, Jonathan VR um, is my second bust. I'm just not um, – you know, I'm just not in uh, in at the cost that he's at right now, as I as I mentioned earlier. How about you? Mine's Glaber Torres. I know people are gonna think I'm crazy. I just I can't do it. There's something something there I just can't wrap my head around, uh, and it's gonna be the death of me, I think. But Glaber Torres is my bust going super high, and I just see that the floor just seems so low for your you're drafting a ceiling to me, and his floor is so low at that draft price. So no Glaber Torres for me. Uh, who are your main targets at the second base position? I think my main targets um, on draft day, Albies obviously is a guy that in the third round, depending on who else is available, I, I will definitely be targeting. I just love both the position and the profile for him at that spot, even though you know the the projections have him losing a, a couple dollars of value. I just think what he provides in that spot is is really solid uh, for as you build your team moving forward, just team construction standpoint. Altuve is a guy I can definitely see myself going after if he falls later in the third round. I actually got him in one draft, I think at pick 43, something like that. So as he, if he falls that that low, um, he's definitely a guy that I can see myself getting. I can see myself getting Marte if he falls as well. Um, you know, again, like I, I can definitely see that happening. Uh, LeMayhew, if he falls a little bit too. Um, McNeil is a guy that I'll be actively targeting, I think. And then if, if it gets past that, um, I think Moustakis, um, is a guy, depending on what my team looks like, that I could look at. And then I think um, Gavin Lux and Ryan McMahon are two that I'm also interested in. Uh, Lux just has, you know, the prospect pedigree is incredibly high. 
And he's one of those guys who struggle, like relatively speaking, struggled uh, coming up. And so, you know, he's way discounted. Whereas I feel like if he hadn't played a game in the majors, but was coming up this year, he'd be a lot higher. I don't have him in any draft champions just because of like the volatility of, of the possibilities of like him not getting a ton of playing time and picking him that high. But I think in a regular draft where I know I can rely on some fab and, and scoop up a guy like scoop scope, scoop up a guy like scope, um, <laughs> you know, to maybe play the other, other end of that. Like I feel pretty good about the upside on him just because he has elite plate discipline. He's never had issues with contact. He had some in his first taste of the big leagues, but I expect those to improve. His hard hit rate was over 50%, which is elite. Um, you know, we didn't see it necessarily in the stat cast data, but it's a relatively small sample. Um, and so I'm interested to see where that kind of goes. And I just think, you know, the Dodgers are a great situation and I can see him playing in a variety of different positions there and getting, you know, the vast majority of at bats. And then Ryan McMahon is a guy where it's like, it's hard for me to explain why, but he just strikes me as a guy who, you know, last year he put up a pretty solid season, even though it never really seemed like he was putting up a solid season. And so he's a guy who, again, like he could be in a platoon situation or I don't know if you saw this, but Arenado is already, he's, oh, he's, he's, he's not he's, happy. He's, he's not feeling happy. disrespected and you can, you can quote me on that uh, is what he told MLB.com. Like that could be a nasty situation there. Mm -hmm. So if he gets regular uh, plate appearances, again, you can use the cores to your advantage, you know, put him in a platoon. Uh, leveraging cores, leveraging right-handed uh, pitchers. But he's just a guy, he had a little bit of an increase in his contact rate. Everything else looks pretty solid for him. Um, his projection's okay. He just strikes me as a guy who could take the leap next year. Um, and again, like this is terrible for somebody to say who is very analytics-based, but I just get a, I get a feeling about it. Um, You're evaluating like me now. Oh, man, look at me. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I don't mind him either. And the second and third base eligibility is like a nice little bonus for him. So those are some of the guys that I'd be targeting. Um, in addition to like scope, you know, towards the end of drafts is like a middle infielder um, slash second baseman. But how about you? Who are, who are your targets going into draft day? I will say one thing. If Ryan McMahon gets every day, like that, that's my biggest problem with him right now. Like last year, I got him with the very last, my very last pick in TGFBI, and I was happy as heck about it. But if we can get guaranteed Ryan McMahon playing time, he will skyrocket up my second base rankings, like skyrocket up them. Because I love the hit tool. I love the Coors effect. I love everything about it. I just can't, I can't get a feel because they screw up their players all the time. It's it's um, annoying. Like him and Hampson, they need to get both of them every day at bats. It's just so annoying. But I love McMahon, so I'm with you there. If that if that happens, big fan. But for me, love Ozzie Albies. Big fan there. Mike Moustakis kind of already drooled over him enough. Those are my two top targets. And after that, I do like the Jeff McNeil um, profile, and I'm starting to like DJ LeMahieu more as well. But I, I'd rather just wait on McNeil if I can. And then I'm finding myself like going to Robbins and Cano. I know it's something about just the, the old man with the good floor. I don't think he's done yet. And a lot of it also is the draft day price. Getting him to pick 328, that is literally carry the two. That's that's a long time. That's, that's a long time after uh, after your draft starts. It's super deep in your draft. Uh, a guy like Cano, if he still has another good year or two in him, that could be a steal at that point. It could also be a bust, but it doesn't cost me anything. So I'm good taking that gamble. Uh, but there's a lot of interesting guys. Like we mentioned a bunch of later round value guys I could see doing very well. Uh, I am a Luis Arias guy. We'll talk about him a little bit later. Um, 
a lot of interesting players after, say, the top 10. I'll say, I don't even want to say 15 because it gets real murky there after, say, Jeff McNeil. But uh, a lot of really interesting second base targets. So if you don't get one early, it's not going to be pretty. You're going to be sweating in drafts, but there are options. Like you're not going to be held with nothing by the end of the draft. It's just, you know, not like other positions where, you know, 16 deep, you're still going, oh, yeah, there's a lot of good guys here. You got to be a little more uh, attentive to second base once you fall out of the running of the top players. I'll say that much. Um, That kind of goes with my draft strategy. What's your draft strategy going into second base? Yeah, I mean, I think it's target second base early. So looking at Albies, looking at maybe if a guy falls like Altuve or Marte, um, you know, but if if that doesn't happen, um, McNeil is a guy I think with any team construction, I I really like the addition of him. Moose, if I've got a pretty strong base in stolen bases and batting average, I really like him uh, going there or else waiting for that Lux or McMahon. Um, and then I also agree. I mean, Cano is a guy I feel like I'm overlooking as well, just because uh, of the age, like he is really old and, and he's struggled with injuries the last couple of years. But, um, if you look at the, the underlying numbers, like they're not too much different from where he was at, um, during his peak. And so, um, you know, that's, that's not a bad shout along with scope as guys who are going really late in drafts. Uh, but, you know, if, if it comes down to it, like I think in this last draft, I drafted Tommy LaStella as my second baseman because I missed out early on. Um, it was a good reminder of why I'm, I really want to prioritize infield. Um, so if something like that happens, I think you, there's enough guys where you can really maximize your value using like a platoon setup with, you know, Lux and McMahon and maybe one other guy kind of moving them in and out of, uh, of the lineup based on the matchups. How about you? What's your what's your what's your plan? Yeah, it's definitely go and get one early, like you said. If you don't, just have a good core, like the Listellas, the Canos, the Scopes, these the Hernandezes, these later round targets that you're good with. Like, make sure you're good with them because they are gambles, but there's upside with some of them. But just have that list going so you don't miss out on them as well. If you miss out on those, I pray for you. That's all I can say because you're going to be in a world of hurt uh in, in your season long but um there, there there is a lot to uh to like at the second more more than i expected when i first started doing second base a few weeks back i was really just kind of grossed out by the, the position like i thought oh my goodness catcher might be better than this but uh the more you look at second base the more you dig i think there's more kind of interesting value than there is in other positions so uh just just have your have your player pool know what you want to do if you happen to miss out, I'm like, I don't want you to force your second baseman. I'd rather force some other positions, to tell you the truth. But um, just just have your guys in play in case you miss one of the, the studs out, out the top. The only one I will force, and again, I'll, I'll, I'll try not to mention them too many more times, I will be ahead of most on Mike Moustakis. I will say that. But um, that's just me, and that's one of my guys. That'll be one of my guys this year that'll help either make or break a lot of my teams most likely. So... I will plant that flag there with Moose. But uh, let's get into some listener questions, Toby. We got a lot of good ones here. I, uh, I have their their tweets on my phone to go with the uh, outline we have here, so we'll keep them in order for you. At Nathan Coleman at Jayhawk Chalk, he says, Your pod has been my favorite new addition to my lineup. Keep up the great work. Is there a late-round second baseman from Deep Leagues, AL only, that is flying under the radar for 2020 potential, thinking someone like Alberto or Arias. What are your thoughts on that, Toby? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the guys who kind of check the boxes here, and I don't know if these are, you know, I don't play any any AL or NL only league, so these may not be deep enough um, for second baseman. Uh, but the guys who I have down, like Cesar Hernandez, I think in a 90th percentile world, like I could see him going 2020. You know, let's say the Indians play him every day, give him – you know, the green light on the base paths and he's able to convert the the new ball into 20 home runs. I could see that as a possibility. You know, his ADP is around 300. Nico Goodrum uh, is another guy. He's got second base shortstop and outfield eligibility. He is, you know, last year, I think he was either 12 and 12 or 13 and 13. I think his projection is 18 and 13. He's had little spurts in his career where he's put things together for short periods of time, but he hasn't been able to sustain it. And so I could see a situation where he's able to put that together. Um, Rugnet Odor is going, he's moving up a little bit as he always does, but like in the early 200s, but he's a guy who I could definitely see going 2020. That may not be deep enough for you in like an AL only league, but my God, it's pretty, it's pretty barren, uh, real deep at second base. Um, so, um, you know, I would say like, you know, shed long maybe, um, is a guy who I think his projection is like 14 home runs and seven stolen bases, something like that. I don't know if 2020 is a possibility and that's in like, I think under 400 at bats. So I could see a situation where like maybe 2010 is in the realm of possibility, um, for him, um, but it's, you're really grasping at straws and it's hard to really predict somebody, um, kind of taking that next step out of, out of the guys who are further down there. So those, that'll be my, uh, somewhat educated contribution to the question. How about you? Bye-bye. Yeah. 2020 is tricky. And like Kevin Beasio is one I'd like, but it's probably too early in that scenario. Uh, Rudin Odor, I like that a lot. That's probably one of the last ones I could see 2020. Um, you know, in AL only leagues, if you're looking, you almost have to pick, do you want one or the other? Like Jonathan Scope could give you 20 homers. Dowdy gives you 20 stolen bases. Uh, at the same time, as much as people don't like the guy, D Gordon's not going to homer a lot, but he's there for late cheap steals. So he's a guy, he's a guy to keep in mind as well. And then the other one I was looking at, I kind of mentioned him earlier, Jose Peraza. If he's the everyday guy, maybe he runs into 10 home runs and gets you 20 plus steals. That's an option for you later in your drafts. Uh, and I do, I don't hate the shed long call. He's got some prospect pedigree that I can definitely get behind, but 2020 is tricky. I, I do like Alberto Arias. I like a lot, but just, I don't, I'll get an name later. There's another question coming up on Arias. I think he could be this next year's Jeff McNeil, but some people think I'm crazy for that, but um, it is tough in an AL only to find a 2020 guy back this far. Uh, next listener question, Josh Jones Frequent podcast listener here. Which is your favorite to become a top five option at second base by season's end? Biggio, Low, Lux, or it's actually Lau, Brandon Lau, sorry. Lux or Hampson, and and why? Thanks and keep up the good work. So out of uh, these guys, Gavin Biggio, Brandon Lau, Gavin Lux, and Garrett Hampson, who do you think can be top five by season's end? Well, I think um, if I had to choose one, and I think I feel like this is a terrible answer, but maybe it isn't, I would probably go with uh, Gavin Lux. I just think that there's, uh, you know, just looking at some of the underlying skills, looking at the minor league profile, I think he's got everything that he needs to be 
you know, a five category contributor. And so that could happen earlier than we anticipate this year. You know, once he gets a little bit more of a look at, at, uh, at major league hitting, like we've certainly seen that um, with some guys before, but he has that, you know, elite plate discipline, the contact history in his minor league profile, very low strikeout rates and the hard hit rate ability already. Um, and then he also hits um, uh, a lot of balls in the air. And so I think for that reason, I, I think, you know, him, like he had a 343 expected Woba versus a 301 Woba last year. So he was unlucky. Again, that's not predictive, but it is, you know, showing that maybe there was a little bit of lack of luck that he experienced. What I'll do is just with each one of these, I think the scenario for Biggio is I talked earlier about Biggio. And if anybody's interested, I did a podcast where I profiled him for about 15 minutes. Um, but the thing with Biggio is he's super passive. And so that's the reason why his K rate is so high, even though his swinging strike rate is low um, and his contact rate isn't too bad, is he just takes a ton of pitches. So I can see an instance where he becomes a little bit more aggressive and lowers his launch angle a little bit, um, and then he becomes like a potential 2020 guy. Um, I can definitely see that from Biggio, but I think if he keeps doing what he has done, I think the batting average is going to be problematic for that. I think Brandon Lau is probably the least likely to do that just because, you know, his profile is very power heavy and he had like, he was one of the major overperformers of his expected metrics. And he also just like, doesn't make any contact. His strikeout rate was 35% last year. Doesn't really steal bases. The batting average is going to be low, um, you know? And so I just don't think he has it. So he'd be the one where I'd be like X and A, like he's not, he would not be a guy, I think, who's going to finish as a top five second baseman guy. Um, Lux, you know, I, I gave you the option. And I think Hampson, you know, if Nolan Arenado gets traded and McMahon moves over to third and Hampson is the guy at second base instead of Brendan Rodgers or gets that job exclusively, I can certainly see a situation where, you know, Hampson hits like 15 home runs and steals 30 bases and is easily a top uh, five option at second base. Again, though, this is the Rockies we're talking about. And, you know, who knows? They'll probably, like, split it up evenly between Hampson and Rogers, And so nobody gets, you know, exactly what they want. And so I can see paths to success for each one of them becoming a top five option at second base. If I had to pick one, it would probably be Lux just because he has it all. Um, but, you know, again, I can, I can see Rhodes with everybody except for maybe Brandon Lyle. How about you, Bubba? <laughs> Yeah, I completely agree. I, I, Lux would be my guy at this point in time. I do like BCO's upside, but I think Lux is the better option there. And Hampson literally could be Jonathan VR 2.0 if he had everyday playing time. And we know how that, that portrays in the fantasy world. So if for some reason Hampson gets the everyday, I, I'm with you. I think he could easily be a top five guy and a steal in drafts. That's still a big if these days. But uh, for me, I'm with you on Gavin Lux. He's supposed to have the everyday playing time supposed to play maybe all over the infield and, and the outfield. Uh, the overall tools are there, so I, I like Lux as well. 100% with you on that one. Uh, Ty Carlton writes, Albies in 2018, Marcotta 2019. Who's the undervalued breakout guy in 2020, Toby? Oh, man. Uh, this one's a little bit of a tough one for me. I mean, if you think about it, in each of these scenarios, like Albies in 2018, his draft price was actually, I think, like, 80 like his, his ADP was around 80 Mancana last year I don't think he was maybe he was in the like 120 to 150 range 
Um, but you know, of the guys that are out there, you know, I think, uh, you know, Lux, I mentioned as a guy who could really take a big step forward. I think uh, Ryan McMahon is another one, um, for the reasons that I mentioned before as well. It just feels like he's put it together, uh, for spurts and there is some improvement in some of the skills toward the end of last year. And so those would be the two guys that I would say is maybe like the undervalued breakout guys in 2020. Um, but there's also with each of their case, they're a little bit different than Albies and Mankata because both of those guys had, you know, you knew that they were going to get uh, all the playing time. And so a guy like Jeff McNeil is definitely a guy I could see, you know, having a full season and jumping in as like a top, you know, uh, top 40, top 30, even, you know, guy, uh, based on what he, what he produces coming from a similar spot to Albies was in, in 2018. Yeah, uh, McNeil's a very interesting one. One that I could have some fun with, and it just depends if he could ever get the bang average back to a, a respectable number. But I think you see the hit tool, you see the age, and there's room for improvement. I'll, I'll, I'll go out there and say, give me some Rugnit Odor at uh, pick 221. He's got the power, he's got the speed. If he can just somehow improve that batting average to like 260, 270, he could be a world beater. So, uh, I'll go with Ruben and Odor because about this time last year, Mankata's average idea wasn't as bad as Odor, but there's a lot of questions in his swing and miss and his uh, you know K percentage and all that. A lot of things we see with Ruben and Odor as well. So I'll go Ruben and Odor uh, just way out there on a limb, thinking if he puts it all together, he's got that very, very high ceiling. That can make things quite interesting. Uh, Justin Batesel says, Toby, I know you gravitate toward high batting average guys, what is your outlook on Luis Arias and his lofty projection? Yeah, um, I do gravitate towards, I do like batting average guys a lot. Um, I think the thing for Arias, I don't have him in any of my leagues. I think the tough thing in owning him is that he doesn't provide any power and he doesn't provide any speed. And it's, so it's really hard, I think, to roster guys like that. Um you know, what is his, uh, what is his ADP right now? I feel like he's around 200. Am I making that up? 233 uh, is yeah. his ADP right now. Um, I just think with like the other guys who are around him, I'm just not sure I can, like, I still think there's a ton of solid guys just overall, like in that range. I know like I love, uh, like just in terms of second baseman, like Rugnet Odor is up there and yeah, his batting average sucks and I've never been a fan of his. But like, you know, the home, the power and the speed is, is very enticing. If he, if like you mentioned, Bubba, you could ever put that batting average together. You have Justin Upton, who's going like two picks later, um, right there. So I think there's a lot of, um, solid guys going in that area already. And it's just really hard to think about, um, having Arias take up a spot in your roster when he's arguably going to give you less than 10 home runs and less than 10 stolen bases. And he's going to bat towards the end of that lineup in Minnesota probably. So I just haven't found myself getting him, even though the batting average is super, super value. I just think it's hard to, um, you know, have a guy like that in your lineup, at least in Roto where you're playing in an overall competition and you want to be competing highly in, you know, all of the categories. So maybe in a solo league, he's got some more value in a daily league. He's got some more value as a guy that you just kind of plug in there when other guys can't go because, you know, he can boost your batting average over the course of a full season in that type of role. But 
outside of that, I just find it hard to find a room for him in my in my lineups while maintaining balance. It is tricky. I, I get it, and and um, there are some more concrete players around him. But uh, I, I said it kind of quickly earlier. I talked with Ryan Bloomfield about it on Twitter a week or so ago. His Luis Arias's Statcast page, his numbers, like his hard hit rates, his barrels, launch angles, everything is almost identical to Jeff McNeil's at the end of 2018. Almost identical to a T to the same thing as we saw with McNeil. And uh, but I, I think he could be this year's O'Neill or McNeil, sorry, McNeil. Uh, do do I think he's got 23 homer? Probably not. But uh, 15 to 20 homers, you never know. Uh, the bad average is legit. I guess it's like the top 90% outcome for areas. Like, don't, like, if it doesn't happen, don't go crying because there's a good chance it might not. But if you look at the, the swing tool, the contact rates, the chase rates, if you just start putting everything next to each other, they are almost identical. So mm-hmm. um, if, if you want to try to play that game of, can the, the player continue to develop? I, I think there's an option there. His, uh, you know, if you do the, the fun kind of lazy exercise of what batters is he compared to based on his hit profile, Yuli Gurriel, a guy you love is on there, uh, Hanser Alberto and Adam Frazier, some some popular names around baseball. So Arias, it is scary that the power's not there early on. He doesn't run at all, but uh, the overall average is outstanding. He's going to put the ball in play as OBP's through the roof. And if he just increases his, you know, barrels a little bit in his uh, hard hit rate, just like McNeil did, McNeil's is still not that great. It'll be really, really interesting uh, to see if he can make that next step in 2020. But that's that's my thought on him. It's it's probably a pipe dream, but I like what I see there if you're trying to kind of get ahead of the curve. But it's a very risky proposition is what I'll remind people if you're taking that gamble. Yeah. All right. And, and uh, I think with Arias, he's the type of guy I'd love to see making uh, making the um, you know, hey, I'm going to make a little less contact and uh, hit the ball a little bit harder, like making one of those types of um, you know sacrifices because I do think that he makes enough contact where he could give up you know a few percent and just try to hit the ball when it's in the zone a little bit harder. But you know whether he has that or not, it's really hard to project. But I, I think that's a good shout, Bubba. All right, let's go to Brock Tyson. Enjoying the podcast, guys. Any value in Shedlong and Ison Diaz at current NFPC ADP? We've kind of hit on them already. Why don't you remind them real quick? Yeah, I think yes on both. Uh, Ison Diaz is a guy who I've been targeting a lot in my DCs. I think I probably have probably have him in like four of my six DCs because second base is super shallow and because I think he's going to get uh, a ton of plate appearances and He's got the pre- the pedigree, and I think he's got some of the skills already in place to be successful. So you can never – it's really hard to, to tell, like, when he's going to take that next step or if he's going to take that next step. But I think he's a guy who could uh, take that next step uh, this year or as the season progresses. So Isan Diaz for sure. Shed Long is a guy that I, I picked up, I think, my first share recently. And, and, I, and as I dug in a little bit more, I was definitely intrigued. Um, I think I mentioned like 14 and seven. It was actually 11 and seven in his, is his projection for shed long and 387 plate appearances. But I don't see why the Mariners wouldn't roll him out and give him pretty much the job, um, you know, uh, heading into this year. They need to see what they've got. Uh, they've got their young guys coming up in the outfield. They need to know whether long is going to be a long-term part of the club. And so giving him a real shot at a full season of plate appearances to see exactly what they've got, I think would be key. And if you take that 11 and seven and you, you know, uh, you 
almost double that. You know, you're looking at nearly 20 home runs and, you know, 15 stolen bases, maybe a little bit less than 15 stolen bases. And that can certainly bring some value with a batting average that's around 250 or so. So um, I definitely think both guys can contribute um, in a DC. I think I'd have both of those guys on kind of my list of, of guys to kind of monitor during spring training. And then to also just kind of have as guys I can move in and out of the waiver wire, just because they have access to plate appearances, I think uh, this year. Yeah, I agree with everything you said there. Isan Diaz, he showed he had a lot of pop in the minor leagues. So uh, there, there's, there is definite upside there. Projected to bat towards the bottom of that Marlins order, but there's no reason for them not to play him. So I like that. Um, currently, Shedlong's not on roster resources starting nine, but Jeff Zimmerman came out uh, in his recent notes article, and they basically said they want him to start and get all the reps for the Mariners. And if that's the case, like you said, that's tremendous. Uh, depending on where he hits in the order, but um, could be could be big for him. Both both good values because they're going super late in drafts, like you said. I I I kind of lean uh, a Diaz for the overall power upside, but both very solid looks that I'd, I'd be good either way with at, at their value where you're taking them, especially in, in a draft champions. Like you said, not much to lose at that point in time. Uh, Barry Baker, good old Barry Baker, Jorge Mateo or Franklin Barreto. This is who. Yeah, good good luck. What do you have on this one, Toby? Uh, I put neither question mark. Yeah. Um, yeah. Chad Pender. <laughs> uh, so I think what what we'll end up seeing the A's do is do like a Pinder and Kemp. Um, they just traded for Kemp. I think that like makes too much A's sense, just as guys who like get on base and um, you know contribute uh, from either side of the plate a little bit. I think Barreto has just been absolutely overmatched in every single time he's been up in the big leagues he's gotten worse with you know all of the different stints and yes it's a very very small sample size but the type of dominated he's been is is kind of ridiculous i think his contact rate in his last stint was like 55 percent uh which is uh more than 20 percent below league average uh mateo you know he's got the speed which i think is very intriguing for folks last year was the first year he showed a little pop with 19 home runs in the minors but he doesn't really get on base. He strikes out at a decent clip, 25%, 26% in the minors. Uh, Steamer has him projected as a 28% strikeout rate, a 232 batting average. I just don't necessarily see either one of them uh, getting the job. And so I think they know what they have in Pinder. I think I read some articles earlier that like a lot of teams were poking around on Pinder, but the A's weren't interested in trading for him. And so that, or trading him, which gives me a little bit of indication that they do have plans. Um, for him to be a part of the team in a, in a meaningful way next year. And then obviously like going out and getting um, Tony Kemp means that they value uh, they value whatever he was providing. And I think they gave up not like a upper echelon prospect, but a decent prospect that seemed to, people seem to, to, to like a decent amount. And so um, I think we may see a Pinder and Kemp um, platoon there. How about you, Bubba? Uh, one thing they definitely like with Pinder and Kemp, especially Pinder, is they can play all over the diamond. So they're like super utility guys, which make the A's super, super happy. So that's something they can definitely take advantage of. But picking between Barreto and Mateo, I'm going to go with Barreto for one because he's been up already. Mateo, as great as the year as he had, was, wasn't even called up. We've seen what Barreto can do in the minors. It's one of those, they need to give him a run or they need to get, just move on from Barreto. Like he was a top-end prospect, keeps crushing it in the minors. He gets small cups and copies in the big, and I can't even like – get mad at him because the way they use him is so not good for a young kid. So we don't even really know what, what his talent level is in the bigs. Like part of me, like Ross resource has him batting ninth in the, in the lineup. 
I hope they gave him a couple months to figure it out. Let Pender play his platoon role in the outfield and the infield, still play four or five games a week because that's what he can do, especially against left-handed pitching, just destroy them. I want Barreto to get a good run. I really, really do because he hasn't gotten a fair shake, and I want to know if the talent's legit or not. So for Barry, if I'm picking one of the two, it's Franklin Barreto. Uh, Mateo's a stud. He crushed it in the minors, but it's Barreto's turn to start with and, and go from there. So I'm going Franklin Barreto for now, but it might just be Chad Pender, like you said. Just really might. It, it would hurt me if uh, Tony Kemp gets more out bats than Barreto, but I guess the left-handedness of Tony Kemp will, will help with that quite a bit. Yeah, and for what it's worth, Seamer's projection on Barreto – 238 batting average, but 12 home runs, six stolen bases in 348 plate appearances. So, you know, that certainly if, if that got to 600 plate appearances um, or if you got bad. a steady playing time and hit that, like that wouldn't be a terrible thing to have at the end of your bench. Yep, most definitely. Uh, Tulsa Hop asked, if I told you someone's going to pull a Cattell Marte this year, basically over 280p, top five at the position, who would you bet on? This seems to be a popular kind of – We've had this similar question already multiple ways. Who is our sneaky top five second baseman? I just don't even remember who we just mentioned. Who, 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 oh, we, we had, he narrowed it down for us. Okay, so who would be yours out of after ADP 200? After ADP 200, um, if I was, uh, if I was smart, I'd pre- probably say Rubnet Odor. Just because I know, I'm gonna keep leaning, I'm leaning that direction over and over again. Yeah, the, the only thing that, um, the only thing that, I think stops him is the batting average, right? Because even though yep. he sucks at stealing bases, like he's he's abysmal at it, he still does it. So I would probably say Rubin Odor if I had to say like from a probability standpoint. Um, I would say a guy who has a very similar profile to Marte is Tommy Lastella. And so I think if he ends up in the right situation there in Anaheim, if he can continue what he started last year and hits leadoff in front of Trout and Rendon and Upton and Otani, like that's a really nice place to be. Um, and he's got a like similar, relatively speaking, uh, profile as him. But I think like some of the other shouts that you had, like Starling Castro is an interesting one. I think Nico Goodrum, um, could be another guy, um, who, uh, you know, takes that next step. So I think there's a number of guys, if we knew for sure, you know, we'd, we'd win every single time, but you know, those are, I think some of the better bets to do that. Does that make sense with to you? Yeah. I think Rugnit's got one. Um, if you want to go crazy, top five upside. It's uh, it's tricky down here. Um, I don't. I like Robinson Cano, but I don't know if he gets top five upside. I could see top ten for sure with Robbie Cano, just because he doesn't give you any steals or anything. Uh, one guy, if he really puts it together, I'll, this is a shout out to J Dub the Gamer. Michael Chavis has tremendous ability. We've seen it in the minors, but I just don't know if it's ready to kind of blossom onto the main stage yet so i i'm gonna stick with rooting door but uh it's it is really tough like if you would have told me like 170 and above throw in ryan mcmahon or something we could talk but uh we don't get that luxury um a couple i'm gonna group these two together because they're both colton wong related but uh com center sports is colton wong a guy you're targeting this year high upside for speed and a decent amount of pop could end up hitting high in that order if the aeronado trade becomes reality and the other Colton Wong question was from Gilds, um, G-I-L-D-Z. Why is Colton Wong being so undervalued coming off career season? Seems like a nice buy for 15 to 20 steals, if not more. Thanks, fellas. Keep up the great work. So basically, what's your thoughts on Colton Wong? Is he a value where he's going, or was last year kind of an admiration? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that if you, I have him in one spot, and it was a spot where I was really desperate for speed um, at the middle infield position. And so I went with Wong. Um, I think if you just look, I think his um, his projection is fine. You know, it's got him as 266, 12 home runs, 62 runs, 61 RBI, 16 stolen bases. You know, he did have 24 stolen bases last year, but if you look the three previous seasons, you know, he had six, he had eight, he had seven. If you look at his home runs, like he hit 11 home runs last year and 550 plate appearances. He's projected for 12, which, you know, I guess maybe um, his hard hit rate did go up, but it's still below league average. His contact rate, you know, really didn't change that much. He just made more contact in the zone. Um, and so, like, I think this this last year, just from like a lot of perspectives to me, seems like a high. And so, you know, he hit 285 this year. He hit 285 two years ago, but then he hit 249 before that. You know, he hit 240 the year before that. So he seems to really like 260 to 270 seems a reasonable projection. The home run total, again, like is going to hurt you a little bit if he doesn't get up to that, you know, like 16 to 24 stolen bases. So I'm not actively actively targeting him um, just because I don't think he provides enough consistency in terms of batting average and home runs. And I don't notice any particular major change in his profile outside of him hitting the ball in the air more his ground ball rate was down about five percent but you know again like that is going to limit the batting average a little bit and he only hit 11 home runs when he did that so i just don't see anything like there's a lot more guys going where he's going that i think have a lot more upside um than wong does and so unless i'm kind of in a position where i'm really looking for speed pretty badly um i'm not really that interested in wong where he's going Wong's a very tricky one for me because he's going to be batting second for the Cardinals. The lineup's going to be better. They may go trade for Arenado. They may re-sign Ozuna. It's going to be a very good lineup, especially at the top part of the lineup. So that part's very awesome. I think if he gets on base, he could he could steal you 20 bags or more, and that'd be tremendous, like you were saying. I don't believe the power's going to be there. Like um, For a guy that, for those that listen long enough by now, know I love stat cast pages and that kind of stuff, and I love Blood Red. His is, is ice cold blue all over the place. Like it is, it's kind of amazing what he was able to do last year. A 2.5% barrel rate, lowest of his career. Um, a 25% hard hit rate, lowest of his career. His X batting average is 259, but he hit 286. Uh, there was dr- dramatic differences. His, his Woba was almost 0.03 above his X Woba. Like these are big, big scares. And then you look at his chase rate. His chase rate went from 23 to 29%. Um, there's there's definitely question marks. His, the best thing for him is his ground ball rate dropped 6%. His fly ball and line drive rates both improved. Um, but, man, you are really playing with some fire here. Um, there is some things to like. Like I said, playing in that lineup I think is going to be big for him. And he's still young. If he can show improvements, that's great. But uh, the power numbers I'm not buying into. If you want to – I think the steamer projection is pretty good, like 12 homers, sure. I think he could steal you more than 16, though. I do think the steals are there, uh, hitting 266. If he can somehow get on base 265 to 270, he might run into 20 steals for you. But uh, I think you're really, really uh, going out there hoping for the best-case scenario with Colton Wong. And I think that's why he's still, even after a really great year, still the 20th second baseman off the board for a reason. That's kind of my thoughts there. 
Um, next up, we have Stephen G. Buckets. Who is the best value second base right now, and why is it Tommy Lestella? Well, Stephen, we love Tommy, so I don't, I can't tell you why it's not because I think, I think he's a great value right now. But what do you say, Toby? Yeah, I, I agree. I think um, a lot of potential reward, not a ton of risk at the cost that he's going at. Um, so yeah, I think you know, I think I think he's a he's a great value. He's one of the guys that we identified as as a guy that we like a lot. Um, on the Wong thing, I mean, like a thing that I just think about is like if you're if you're interested in Wong or you need speed, like you know, draft Shinsu Chu, who's going to go like you know, 265 with 20 home runs and 10 stolen bases or like 15 stolen bases he had last year. Um, And then like later on draft Jonathan Scope or Robbie Cano uh, to be your middle infielder or second baseman. I think, you know, that's the situation that I feel like is why I'm not getting Wong is just because I can get an outfielder that's better overall that provides some sort of stolen bases. Like Kevin Kiermaier is going, you know, whatever, like 340 or something like that. Um, and he's going to steal a ton. He's going to probably steal more bases than Wong is in less games than Wong might. And you might be able to use him as a platoon to be more successful. So that's why, but yeah, Listella, uh, I'm, I'm, I think, you know, the profile is just like, you know, he struck out 8% of the time last year and hit a ton of home runs and he's already done that. And so maybe he won't replicate it, but he's done it. And so that makes him more likely to be able to do it again. All right. We've got two Brandon Lau questions. I'm going to group them together as well. First, Andrew Armour. Thoughts on Lau played well last year before a nasty shit injury. K's a lot, but could be could he make improvements there? The other question was from our one and only Taylor at Taylor underscore Bauer eleven. Can you dig into Brandon Lau? His hard hit data screams breakout, but his splits are so bad. So, what's your thoughts on Brandon Lau this year? Because we've seen the good, we've seen the bad injuries, tons of platoon problems potentially in Tampa Bay. There's lots of questions with Lau, but the upside is there. What do you got on him? Yeah, I mean, I think with Lau, um, yeah, I mean, I think the platoon thing is real, right? Because that's what Tampa Bay is going to do. I think they've signaled pretty strongly that outside of Austin Meadows and maybe Willie Adamas, like, you know, first base is probably going to be a platoon there. Uh, Second base is probably going to be a platoon um, third base, potentially even like people who have Yandy Diaz shares, like he's probably not going to be playing first. So, you know, DH maybe and, and, and third base for him. Um, it's just going to be a mess in Tampa. And so I'm staying away generally speaking. And then when it comes to Lau, like, I think he was fortunate last year. We see that a little bit with the difference between his expected Woba and his Woba. But I think what's more important for fantasy purposes is he hit 270, uh, but he had a 244 expected batting average. Um, and I think that's kind of the downside of, of Lau is that, like I mentioned, his strikeout rate was 35%. Um, he relied on, um, you know, a 377 Babbitt uh, to get him that three, that 270 batting average. So that just shows you what the floor is. I mean, Steamer still has him as like 247 batting average, 25 home runs seven stolen bases and 611 plate appearances. But I just highly doubt that he's going to hit those 611 plate appearances. And, um, you know, and I think that 247 seems about right, but I could definitely see where it could be lower. So he's a guy that I'm steering clear of. But again, there was somebody on Twitter, I can't remember, but I was talking trash about Lowe earlier on in the season. And every time he had a big game, he'd like tweet me, not in like a, <laughs> like a mean like troll way, but just as like a joke, like, hey, when is that Lowe? regression going to happen um 
But I just I just don't think what he's doing right now is sustainable. And I think when you combine that with the the split, the platoon splits and the likelihood that he's gonna platoon, I just don't see him being a guy that I'm gonna target. The biggest problem for me is the platoon splits. Like Tampa Bay has built this team to have a lefty and a righty lineup. That's just what they've done already. They've they've taken out the fun out of a lot of things in that in that uh, rotation. That's that's really, really scary. Guys like Jason Clay who follows them a ton has flat out said it's gonna be very difficult outside of like Austin Meadows to own anybody in Tampa Bay because they're going to rotate everywhere. Like look at the stat cash page, like Trevor wanted his numbers from 18 to 19 are crazy. The barrel rate increase, uh, the hard hit rate, the, like, the X, the stats, like you mentioned, the bad averages, bad everything. But like, look at his, uh, his, his, his Woba and XWOBA aren't that far apart. His XWO bacon was 501 last year. That is just insanity. But the strikeout rate went up big time. His chase rate went up a ton. So his overall quality of at-bats, I would say, is very questionable. But his quality contact, when he makes it, is is awesome. The biggest problem, like you said, is I don't think he gets the plate appearances. And if you don't get the plate appearances, you can't help us in fantasy. So that's my biggest concern as well. Uh, Matt Williams says, the most interesting position group this year, in my opinion, is the sophomores. Could they, uh, the sophomores could end up being the biggest decision that could impact leagues out of Hira, Biggio, Lau, Edmund, Newman? Who's your favorite sophomore, Toby? Oh, out of those guys, I mean, the guy who's got the highest ADP, yeah, exactly. Hira. That's kind of what I'm I mean, thinking. I think, I think, from a just a value perspective, Hira would be the guy that I would go at, even still. Um, I have questions about Biggio and just the batting average in general. Um, you know, the price isn't terrible. I think I mentioned Lau. I think with Edmund, I just think the playing time's a little uncertain. And, um, you know, I just think there's a lot of moving parts there in that, in, in that um, just everywhere where, you know, he probably gets enough. But I'm, I'm just, I'm not sure. Um, and then Newman is a guy that I just haven't been getting. He's been pushed up a little bit. He's obviously got the batting average and the stolen bases a decent amount, but he doesn't really provide anything else. I mean, the home runs are pretty poor. It's hard to really integrate those guys that are going to get like, um, you know, like 10 to 15 home runs into your team. Like that really just puts a lot of pressure on you to get home runs from a lot of different other spots. And so there's only a certain number of those guys you can, you can take, and I just don't know if if the stolen bases are high enough for me to be able to do that. So I would say Hira, uh, probably like if I were to order them, it would probably be like Hira, Edmund Biggio, Newman Lau, something like that. I don't know. How about you? How would you? How would you? Lead, how would you rank those guys? How would I rank them? I just deleted the tweet. Um, I'd probably go Hira, Biggio. Newman, Edmund, Lau for me. It's uh, that Newman, Edmund, Lau grouping is very – I just don't really like any of them. <laughs> but that, yeah. that's, I guess, where I'd go in that realm if I had to. Yeah, I um, literally – I have like – I think I have one Hira share, and I have zero shares of all, all of the other guys. Yep, uh, I'm with you there. I don't have too many of those at all. Uh, Kevin Hastings asks, uh, I love post-hype guys. Jose Peraza will not be 26 years old until a month into the season. Do we take? Do we see him take the job in Boston, and do we do what he has been drafted to do this time last year? So do we like Jose Peraza if he's got the full-time job? 
Um, well, I'm going to let you answer this one first, Bubba, because I know you are a Jose Peraza enthusiast. Yes, I am a big uh, Jose Peraza enthusiast. At his price, I would definitely be willing to take a value on him. Do I want him to be my starting second baseman? Probably not. But do I like having him on the bench, potential middle infield option? Yes, because if he's going to start every day, like Steamer's got him at 275 at bat, 66 games with uh, eight steals. Say he plays 140 games, not even not even more than that. Say he gets 550 at bats. We're getting closer to 20 stolen bases, hitting 283, running into you know close 12 to 15 home runs. This could be your 2020 guy, like I said earlier at the position. It's he still has to get the job. They got him projected to hit ninth in Boston, but you know in reality, hitting ninth means you have Mookie Betts hitting behind you. They're gonna pitch to Peraza. They're not gonna walk, and this is the beauty of having the designated hitter in the American League. So he may lose some at bats batting ninth, but if he is the everyday starting second baseman for the Boston Red Sox, he's going to get a lot of at-bats, a lot of chances to do things. And uh, if he can turn things around, I got no problem. It wasn't too long ago, 2018, 14 homers, 23 stolen bases. He had three straight years of over 20 stolen bags for the Reds and um, hitting 288 uh, or higher in two of those three seasons. I I do like Jose Peraza if he gets an everyday job. Worth a gamble, in my opinion. You? Yeah, definitely. I, I agree. Um, Rob Silver had a great tweet where he was just comparing the Emer 600 um, from Whit Merrifield, Ahmed Rosario, Tommy Edmond, and Jose Peraza. And, you know, they're fairly similar. <laughs> um, yep. You know, actually, uh, Peraza has, has the highest batting average of all of them, and the stolen bases are pretty similar. The home run totals are pretty similar, as are the uh, the counting stats. And like you mentioned, the Red Sox lineup, even hitting way down in that is – a decent place to get some counting stats. And so I think he's a nice little buy where he's going. I think he'll push up as, as playing time clarifies a little bit. Um, but yeah, definitely. I think, I think he's, he's, he's definitely worth a, he's worth a shot. Um, I think last year was kind of a worst case scenario and he's got some positive regression, hopefully coming his way. All right. Blake Miller asked, curious to see if you view this as an attack early position or one where you feel it's smarter to weigh it out. We kind of hit on this in the, uh, strategy segment where we kind of said, or at least I'll, I'll say my part again, get your guy early that you want. Otherwise have your player pool. Cause there is good value. Like we've talked about um, that you can get later, but make sure you have your guys. Cause to me, it's, it's deep in I, I guess options, but it's not deep in the options. I want to draft. That makes sense. So I want to make sure I get my guys where other positions, there's probably 15 plus guys. I'm good leaving the draft with not the case for me at second base. They might not all be early, in the second base rankings, but there's only a select certain second baseman I wanted to draft with. And so I, I need to make sure to uh, attack at the right time, but attack those select players, if that makes sense. Uh, what's your philosophy? Attack early. Attack early, baby. Attack early. Attack early. I love it. Um, let me find the next one here. Uh, I didn't see it. I'll two bit one that I totally missed that. Uh, it was we pretty much answered it. I think in in going. Oh, I got it. Too. Yeah, it's yeah. with Heath Caps. I want to give him credit. That's why I was looking for it. Mm-hmm. Heath Caps from Fake Teams. Any concerns about Altuve beyond the scandal, uh, best sp- sprint speed mark, so on and so forth? We we did talk about it. When we talked about Altuve. How uh, are you concerned with Altuve this season? Yeah, not not really concerned with him at all. Um, I mean, there are some signs, but I think the expected BA, I think we covered some of that in the home versus away 
um, splits that he has because of the Crawford boxes there. And I don't think he's going to steal. I don't think he'll get 12 stolen bases like his steamer projection says. I think like five to 10 again would be what I'd be banking on. But, um, you know, again, like the batting average, I think should still be there. The counting stats and the home runs. Um, and who knows, you might get a little upside with the stolen bases. Yeah, I think more 25 homers, not 30 plus homers, but stolen bases won't be there. Everything else can be great. Great batting average, great OBP. All the other goodies you want, just a little too soon for me in a draft. Uh, Forever Majors asks, thoughts on Kevin Biggio? I know you talked about him a lot on a previous podcast of your own. Um, very interesting player that a lot of people are very curious on. What's your uh, your, your thoughts on him? Yeah, I think my thoughts on Biggio, I think he's got a couple issues, as I mentioned earlier in the show, like that he's that he has to work through. The first one is that he's super passive. So he swings at a very few percentage of pitches. And as a result, he gets a ton of called strikes. And so I think he needs to swing a little bit at more at pitches in the zone. He seems to have pretty good play discipline. I think that's one step that he needs to take. I think my another concern is just his exit velocity. He has one of the lowest exit max exit velocities of any player in baseball. Um, I think it's like 104 miles per hour. Um, his barrel rate was okay. He hits a ton of balls at high launch angles. And I think that's another reason why his batting average is so low in addition to the higher uh, strikeout rate because he is so passive. I think there was a couple adjustments that he could make to get there, but I think the biggest concern is just the exit velocity being pretty um, – pretty substandard um, in general and then the passivity that he has. Um, so I'm not, I'm not big in on him, but you know, at the same time, like if he goes, if he hits 230 and hits 20 home runs and steals 15 bases, I mean, that's not atrocious to get from a guy you're getting around pick one, one fifty. So um, yeah. Yeah. You don't have to go too soon on him. OBP leagues. He's gold. Like in the barf league, he's going to be awesome. Like really, really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, if he could ever improve that average, watch out. But good source of steals and, and some power. It's not going to completely ruin you, but just make sure you draft the batting average guy at some point in time to save your rear end. Ozzy Albies time, Dave Petro's yellow. I'm really high on Albies, especially with second being weak. But I also think that maybe, just maybe, starting Castro's second half last year was pretty real, not a fluke. So, A, we're both high on Ozzy Albies. What are your thoughts on starting Castro's second half? Yeah, I thought there were some uh, really nice adjustments that Castro made um, as the season uh, progressed. Um, I want to say, I'm getting it in front of me right now. I want to say his ground ball rate. uh, Yeah, so his ground ball rate was down 9%. His hard hit rate was up uh, about 3%. So hitting the ball in the air more, hitting the ball uh, harder. I know that his stat cast data was also much better in the second half. So he wasn't just hitting the ball in the air, but he was hitting the ball with authority. When you just look at like 285 at bats, 16 home runs, 302 batting average. Um, it's really, really nice. He's going to be in a better lineup with the nationals. I definitely agree with what you said earlier. I think he's, you know, like if you do miss out on second base, he's worth, uh, he's worth a shot as your second baseman or a middle infielder. And he's also got that third base eligibility. So a guy you can kind of move in and out. Uh, based on matchups as well. 100% agree with you there. Uh, Jake Halusker asks, how do you feel in 2020 about the notion that you have to get a decent amount of speed from second base, middle, and field positions? I absolutely love this question because I think this is one of the challenges in teams construction of this year um, that I've mentioned before on the podcast. But if you think about it, like from your two catchers, you're probably not going to get speed unless you get JT Real Muto, which I definitely suggest you do. 
Um, <laughs> and even him, he's projected for six stolen bases, you know, so like it's not a ton. Um, first base, there's only two real guys that get you a ton of speed, and that's Cody Bellinger and Danny Santana. Um, and Bellinger, you've got one shot to get him, and then Danny Santana, there's a lot of, there's a big variance in terms of what he could be. And, um, you know, Sarah's did a good article about like how, you know, a player's actual war impacts the likelihood that they're going to bust. And uh, Danny Santana had like a negative war last year, despite his really good offensive season. Um, and so there's definitely some risk there. When you look at third base, there's also, you know, few guys who provide you with double digit steals outside of Jose Ramirez also going in the first or early second round. Um, and so really you're left with second base, shortstop, middle infield, your five outfielder positions and utility. And where this has become like crystal clear for me is I drafted Nelson Cruz for the first time and I realized I had one less slot. So I essentially had eight slots to get a hundred stolen bases to get close to the 80th percentile um, that you're really looking for. Now, obviously over the course of a season, some guys will do better, some guys will do worse and you'll then you'll mix and match some guys and hopefully, you know, get a few more stolen bases, but it just leaves you in a really difficult position. And so I think it makes it really challenging unless you get speed from one of those other positions that you don't normally get speed from to not get speed from your second baseman. So like I mentioned with Moustakis, like if you are going to get Moustakis to play second base for you, um, you know, then maybe you need to have a guy who at third base, like uh, Scott Kingery, who's providing like a little bit of speed, you know, or, or a decent amount of speed at third base, or you need to have Danny Santana or Cody Bellinger on your team or be getting stolen bases from somewhere or have a couple guys who are providing you with a ton, but that's really hard to do later on in drafts. So you really need to know that ahead of time. So I think that's a great question just because it's, um, you know, it really means that you need to be thinking about these things early on in the draft, like what your decisions early on the, in the draft are going to mean in a lot of different ways for how you can build your roster in roto leagues, like especially with like an overall competition where you need to be good in all five categories, you really need to be thinking about that ahead of time. And I found myself in a situation where I got Cruz and I hadn't gotten a ton of speed beforehand. And I was like, oh man, I really got to catch up on this. And this is going to eliminate a lot of guys that I might want to take later from getting them because I really need to get the speed from my outfield positions, from my shortstop, from my second baseman, from, from my middle infielder. And what I ended up doing is getting Scott Kingery later at third base to help compensate for that. But I had to jump, you know, a little bit ahead of where I wanted to. And maybe he wasn't like the top guy on my list, but I felt like I really needed to do that in order to get stolen bases. So I think it's just part of the puzzle you need to think about as you think about stolen bases is how do you put that together? And when you get, when you let, when you miss speed from positions where you generally need speed, how are you compensating for that in different areas of your draft? Yeah, I totally agree. I think roster construction is a big, big way to do it. Do you have to get it from second base, middle infield? No, but it's there's much more, many more options at the middle, like you were saying. I think one reason why I like Moustakis so much is when I've been doing my early drafts and my draft prep, I'm leading with like a Jose Ramirez, a Trey Turner, someone early on that I love the stolen base upside with that allows me to do that. Or there's a lot of outfielders, like you mentioned, since you chew. There's Ryan Braun, who's gotten over 10 stolen bases, I think, in five straight seasons. Um, Avisil Garcia gets 10-plus steals. Just getting a handful of 10-plus steal guys goes a long, long way in getting you where you need to go. So it's all about kind of fitting it out. Like shortstop's got a lot of guys. Second base has a lot of guys. Do you need to attack it early? No. But uh, that's where I think the more we've talked about it tonight, I, I think Jose Peraza – is really appealing to me. I know we keep kind of saying it's a, it's a long shot, but 
it's really, really appealing if he gets that job. So stuff along those lines. Is it a must? No. Is it a good idea? Yes, is what I will say from the, the middle infield position as a whole to get a lot of your second your, your stolen bases from. Uh, Common Sense Fantasy Baseball asked, what, I want both of your predictions on how many dollars of value Cesar Hernandez and Robinson Cano will end up just gifting anyone who drafts them after pick 300. Howie Kendrick, too. How did I forget them? I think it's kind of ironic because we've been talking uh, Cesar and Cano up as massive value plays. I apologize. I'm not great at the dollar value part of things. I just kind of know in my head where things are. And if you've listened this late into the podcast, you know I'm a big Cano fan. I like Cesar as well. Howie, I like, but I'm concerned about playing time. That'll be my synopsis of that. I know you're a Howie fan, Toby, but what's your thoughts on those three? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's tough. I mean, with Kendrick, like his valuation for me with his projection right now is is a dollar, about a little less than a dollar. And that's with a 307 batting average, 13 home runs, 50 runs, and 54 RBI with four stolen bases. And that's not too dissimilar from what he did last year. I mean, he hit 344, but that's a career high by uh, by a lot. And obviously, like, you know, the contact rate was up a little bit. His K rate was way down. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know how sustainable that is, um, you know, of, of an increase. I mean, up to 84%. 344 seems really high. So if he hits that projection, which seems relatively reasonable given – what we know about that infield, you know, that he's probably going to be a first base, you know, short side platoon, and then maybe a short side platoon or, you know, a pinch hitter coming off the bench. Um, I think it's a reasonable thing. So that would be $0 for Howie Kendrick. I really haven't drafted him since, you know, the, the, the moves that happened on the infield. Um, the dollar valuation for Cesar Hernandez and Cano is around $4. Um, so each one of those would be around uh, $3. For Cano, his projection is 271 with 20 home runs, 67 runs, 74 RBI, and one stolen base. Again, that seems pretty reasonable since you know it's kind of square in the middle of his batting average over the last two seasons. And um, you know, I maybe could see a little bit of a higher batting average, but you know, combined over the last two seasons, he's kind of put up a line similar to that. Um, in over 750 plate appearances. And then I think with Cesar Hernandez, I think he would be the guy that I think because of the speed um, and because he's with the, with the Indians um, would probably be the most likely to return a ton of value. Um, and I think he could do that by having a high batting average, but um, you know, the, the projection may be a little down on him, you know, again, 19 stolen bases, 17 stolen bases, 15 stolen bases, 19 stolen bases, and then nine. Uh, with the Indians, that could definitely jump up to about 15. So I could see, you know, Cesar being a pretty decent, um, you know, source of value uh, coming back to people. Yeah, if Cesar can just find the top of that order, it'd be absolutely tremendous. Would be a big fan of that. Uh, Chris Norieka um, says, "Hey guys, I'd love to hear your thoughts on Moncada and other second basemen in good lineups that will bat high up in the batting order. Could you also talk about some multi-position guys like Bustakis and Muncie?" Well, quickly, Muncie, we're out on. Moustakis, big fan of. Um, Mankata's a beast. What are your other thoughts on uh, guys at the top of orders? Uh, it's kind of a broad question because I don't have all the lineups in front of me, but I'll say briefly, if they're at the top of the batting order, it's going to be a prime spot, especially on good teams, to be super productive. Um, but what's your take on that, Toby? 
Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, anytime you're in the top of the lineup, you know, depending on where you are, you know, it's either runs, RBI, or both. Uh, the only, the bigger impact, I think, is also in stolen bases um, as well as people move around. On Mankata, I think Mankata is likely to see his batting average decrease a little bit, but I think the power will go up. I think he's, I think he's a, he's great. I mean, I think he's going to hit 30 home runs, steal 10 bases, uh, you know, have really nice counting stats as well. And I think the batting average won't hurt you, but I think it'll be more in like the kind of, 280 range than it will, you know, over 300 again. But I really like him a lot. And at third base, he's getting you some speed, which is which is super helpful. Um, he's not second base eligible in the leagues that I play in, but if he is second base eligible, he is awesome. And yep. if I were to rank him among the second basemen, um, if he had second base eligibility, I would probably have him. Probably I'd have him. Ahead of I'd have him next to. I'd love to say Cattell Marte area. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'd have him. Basically, I have Marte. I have I have Altuve, Torres, Albies, Marte in my rankings. I'd debate moving Mercado to fourth in yeah. my rankings. I have him ninth in, at third base for me, and I want to move him higher. I actually had a discussion on Twitter the other day that um, someone it was similar to questions we've gotten at second base, like which guy could you see being a potential top five by season's end? And I said Mercado could be that guy. He could take that jump. It's just tough when you have Bregman, Ramirez, Arenado, Rendon, Devers in the top five. Who's he going to take out of there? Anything can happen. But Moncada's going to be very, very good. Like, I think this guy can even take any, another step in, in the right direction. So, lots to like there with Yoan Moncada. Um, our boy Colin Weatherwax, he had to hit pipe in here probably to get some tips on your next DC pick. But um, how far is Witt off your board given his current ADP? We basically both, well, we said, and I'll, I'll give you the, the floor here in a second, that we we both kind of agree that the, the, the steals are pretty much gone with Witt. Um, it's more of a second base shallowness at that point in time thing. For me, I'm probably not drafting with Merrifield, so he's off of my board. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I could see a situation where he, you know, slipped past pick 60, I think, where I'd be a little bit more interested um, in him but yeah as we mentioned earlier like I think there's a number of yellow flags from the declining speed to the declining contact that just show that we've seen the best of what Witt is going to provide I think and I would not have higher expectations than what we saw last year from him Nicholas Sackett I believe this is your buddy Toby um, I've done six DCs and only have two shares of Wilmer Flores tell me why I made a terrible terrible mistake not drafting him in the other four leagues well, for one, he's a free agent still, so I'll say that much. Um, secondly, I wouldn't say it's a mistake, but we don't know where he's going. We know how good he can be, but uh, it's a real gutsy pick there on your part, Nicholas. What's your thoughts, Toby? Um, well, I don't think I don't think uh, Nick needs any advice from from us. He's he and uh, Brian Slack are the number three rated players, I think, in in, uh, <laughs> in, in the NFBCs. Well, I'm uh, flattered then. Uh, the NFBC, like whatever that rankings of like the top 50 players is, they're number three. Uh, so, so Nick, I think whatever you want to do, you do, you do you. But no, you I mean, I think, for, I think for Flores, the challenge with him is just finding himself with enough plate appearances. Like nobody's shown enough interest to sign him yet out of free agency. And then I think he oftentimes finds himself on the short side of the platoon. So it ends up being really hard to use him. He does have some valuable skills in terms of the contact, like the batting average potential. Um, you know, the hard hit rate and the ground ball rate being low, like there's always been a lot of potential there, but he's just never gotten the opportunity. And I don't see any major places where he's going to get that shot 
at least this point. So um, I don't think you're making too bad of a mistake, uh, Nick, and I hope you're doing well. Yeah, that's kind of the thing is I don't see where he's going to get the full playing time, which we've always dreamed of with Wilmer Flores, just never happens. Uh, we have four more questions, four more. Garrett sure asks, all, all, actually all he put was Hap, which I'm pretty sure references Ian Hap, which has been an interesting name in recent years. We actually saw some really good production once sitting down to AAA last year that makes gives you hope that things change coming into this year. Even when he had his moments with the Cubs, 11 homers in 58 games last year at 264. Steamer has him projected for 21 homers in 117 games. That's 477 plate appearances, seven stolen bases. Not the most ideal batting average there. But like the overall, you know, stat cast metrics, the hard hits, the barrels, all that are really, really good. There's still a lot of swing and miss in his swing, which can make him very, very tilting. But it's an interesting pick to see where things go. Um, what are your thoughts on Ian Happ? Yeah, I actually think where he's going, I think he's going after pick 300 at this point or around pick 300. I think he's a really nice um, guy to look at. Um, he doesn't have second base eligibility in a lot of leagues because he only played 13 games there. But if he does, I mean, towards the end of or last year, he um, his contact rate increased by uh, by 8%. To 71.7%, and his in-zone contact rate increased 12%. So I think that's a really good indication. He's always been able to hit the ball really well. Um, The question has always been the contact skills. His K rate has gone from 31.2% to 36.1%, but then down to 25%. If I think if he can maintain that, I think he should get plate appearances in that Cubs lineup. And so I think he's a really nice guy to pick up with a little bit of upside, both in terms of speed and, and, and power uh, late in drafts. Uh, North Shore Havoc writes, he has two questions. Um, is Hanser so hot right now? And if Arenado gets moved, are you in on Hampson? Uh, we said yes for sure on Hampson. We'd be a big fan of that. Uh, and Alberto, we mentioned as potential value. Did you want to reiterate anything there? Um, not really. I mean, he makes a ton of contact, but it's kind of like Arias. Like he doesn't have the same batting average skills that Arias does because his batted ball quality is worse. Um, you know, he hit 305 last year, but only 12 home runs, four stolen bases and 550 plate appearances. There's not a ton of value there. I know, uh, you always like to mention that in DFS, he's a great play against left-handed pitchers. Um, But I don't think he's a major part of the future for the Orioles, um, and so I don't. You know, I'm not. I'm not super interested in in the profile. Maybe like super late as a batting average guy in like a DC, but I just don't think there's enough upside to really target him in regular drafts. The other question from North Shore Havoc: Thoughts on Kevin Newman? Um, we covered Kevin Newman a little bit there. Like, I just think that. Um, you know, I haven't been in on him. The batting average stolen base combos act, uh, is definitely nice, but the really low home run total um, and the fact that he doesn't steal like a crap ton of bases like really kind of dampens my interest in it. I just think that unless you have a ton of power early on, um, it's hard to add a profile like that um, uh, to, you know, your team. Um, and so, you know, again, like, I think uh, he's he's solid and he fits the right team, but I think in a lot of situations it's it's a hard profile to um, 
to add because it just doesn't seem like there's much upside beyond what he's already shown. And the last question came in while we were recording. NFL Survivor Kyle asks, thoughts on Nick Solak? Uh, for me, I love Nick Solak. Problem is, is the Rangers aren't going to be starting him out the gate. He's going to be a super utility guy. But they flat out come and they've said that in Jeff Zimmerman's uh, kind of uh, news article. They want to use him. They expect by mid-season or so to probably have every day at bats. But to start out, he's going to be a utility guy off the bench, which really hurts things. He's going to be utility um, only until he gets eligibility. A lot of places in most leagues, the overall hit tool I love, but uh, and he's and he's got some late stolen bases for you too. But uh, it's going to be tough not knowing exactly what his playing time's like. Uh, you got any thoughts on Nick Solak? Not really. Not a guy I've necessarily been targeting. I know a lot of people really like him a lot. The hit tool is nice, but super high ground ball rate all throughout his minor league career, um, including fifty three percent. Uh, last year in the big leagues, um, which isn't terrible for his batting average, but limit puts a little bit of a limitation on his power. Um, the speed is definitely nice. Um, so, but I agree with you. I think he's going to get moved around a lot. I don't think they're going to, they may even start him like not on the roster, like just to, um, you know, what do you get? Uh, he got 135 plate appearances. So I don't know if there's any need for roster manipulation there, but um, I just see them like they've been adding a ton of pieces and it sounds like they might get like Nick Castellanos potentially or some other piece like that. Um, uh, maybe Marcelo Zuna, but you know, if they add something like that, that gives him even fewer. And, you know, let's see how many games did he play even at second base last year? He had five games, so he's not going to have eligibility in most formats. I don't think um, unless you have like a minimum level of eligibility required. But if he has second base, it certainly adds some value to him. But I just think there's there's players that I'd rather target where he's going right now. Yeah, and it's it's tough with him. If you daily moves leagues, for sure. But other than that, very, very tricky. But, Toby, that's going to wrap us up. About two and a half hours on second base, thanks to 25 or more listener questions. So thank you all for all your uh, awesome stuff. Hopefully we answered it all because we hit probably – 30 players one way or another along the line there. And that's the beauty of it. That's why we don't go super deep on the NFPC. Uh, you know, let's go top 10 because the questions cover a boatload of the um, important questions that you guys give us. So any final thoughts on the second base position, Toby? Because uh, I, I think that was quite, quite in depth and good. Yeah, I, I think that was, that was quite long. So if you've made it this far, thank you so <laughs> very much for listening to the whole thing. I hope this was helpful in your draft prep as we head into 2020. Yeah, it's, it's been fun doing these. Keep the listener questions coming. Uh, we, we love doing them, and we're looking forward to what you have to come. But uh, next week we'll be doing the shortstop position, which will be really fun because that is deeper than deep. So I don't know how we'll keep it under two and a half hours. I really don't. That's going to mm. be a fun podcast. Um, so we'll have to check that one out. But for now, check out Toby on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. I'm at Pediatric. This is Bubba in the BatFlip. 20, the Fantasy Baseball Second Base Preview. Catch you guys later.
Life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance because you'll feel protected no matter how the wind blows. Also, you can keep enjoying the home of your dreams. And our expert agents can help you save up to 23% when you bundle home with auto. Insure carefully, dream fearlessly. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.